here it goes. It's building, it's building, it's building. It's coming to the big finish. Are you ready for the big finish, guys? Are you ready to say finally bang? Because you should. On the Empire Podcast this week, we're live with Cinemagic in Belfast! Oh, yeah! Oh. Not to go too Bruce Forsyth, what a lovely audience. So much better than last week's. And the weeks before. Maybe not the week before that, but you were pretty damn good. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. And I'm currently experiencing a strange fluctuation of the accent, so I am! <laughs> Which is very, very strange. I'm just talking in my normal voice, and then suddenly, Richardson's gets results! <laughs> Sticking out! My Aunt Jean, she called me in, she gave me tea out of her wee tin. Ask your parents. Um, <laughs> which can mean only one thing, of course. A flare-up of my Northern Irish accent means that we have brought the Empire Podcast to Belfast. <laughs> Absolutely. Indeed. As a Banbridge boy, born and bred, I'm delighted to bring the Empire podcast to Northern Ireland, so I am. <sighs> Catch yourself on. Catch yourself on. Anyway, stop it. Uh, this is, of course, the uh, last leg. Not the last leg, that's a TV show. <laughs> that would be so much better than this, guys. Uh, this is the last leg, of course, of our first ever mini tour of the UK. And let's face it, probably the last ever mini tour <laughs> of the UK. Not, not because we haven't enjoyed it, we have. Not because it hasn't been successful. It has. But because probably in a couple of years time, there won't be a UK to tour. <laughs> so, so let's enjoy it while we can, shall we? Bit of politics for you there. Uh, over the next couple of hours, of course, you're going to get the full Empire podcast experience, so apologies in advance. Uh, you're going to get movie news, you're going to get movie reviews, you're going to get audience questions, you're going to get a chance to ask these people <laughs> things, which is nice. You're going to get some amazing guests that you haven't seen yet. <laughs> and of course, as an extra special bonus, we're going to sort this backstop thing out once and for all, okay? And that's, that's free of charge. That's just part of the service. I don't understand it, but I'm going to have a go at it. Uh, right, now it is time to introduce my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our geek queen, which is kind of weird. She's not really into the whole monarchy thing. Uh, she's Port Stewart's finest, if you don't count, Braina Corrigan from the beautiful south. Will you please welcome one half of the greatest Northern Irish homecoming since the time Pat Jennings opened discount decorating <laughs> in Banbridge. And I met him as a kid, and I got my picture taken with him, and it was absolutely amazing. Please welcome Helen O'Hara! Hello, hello. What? You know what? I'll tell you what Chris didn't know when he wrote that intro, which is that Brenna Corrigan genuinely used to be my babysitter. So, there you go. That is a true story. That's a true story. That is a true story. My mum's up there, she can tell you. Absolutely, which is why we're on our best behaviour language-wise, because <laughs> Helen's mother is here. Uh, I will say that sadly, due to broadcasting regulations, we can't use Helen's voice on this week's podcast. <laughs> um, Helen's voice, everything Helen says will be uh, portrayed by an actor. Isn't that right, Helen? <laughs> That's right! You're absolutely right about that. I want to take this opportunity to get a few things off my chest. <laughs> Hamilton! Shamilton, more like. Wait, what? No! Lin-Manuel Miranda Wright? More like Miranda Wrights. 
as no. in the things you should read to him for committing a crime against musical theater. I feel misrepresented. I don't know, I think it was pretty spot on myself, to be honest. Anyway, uh, next up is the best of the Emperor podcast mm. team. He is a kind soul, he is a gentle and good person, and I'm delighted to report he has recovered from that fatal ketamine and cocaine overdose that he <laughs> took before the York show a couple of weeks ago. Will you please welcome our very own wee English fella, Ben Travis! Oh, there you are. Hey. <laughs> I thought he was like, over there. I was looking, Ben, Ben! <laughs> it just appears, looms out in the dark like Pinhead. Like Jason oh. Satham in Crank 2, I was dead. <laughs> But I got better. Hey. <laughs> That's hope. Unlike Jason Statham in Crank 2, you don't have a massive erection. <laughs> right. No. At least, not yet. Oh, Chris. <laughs> no. Come on, I've got to do one. No. Got to find a level. Um, last but not least is another not-so-wee English fella who has... I have to say, guys, I'm really sorry about this, but he has a somewhat reductive view of Northern Ireland. Mm and the Northern Irish people. He thinks that we are obsessed with potatoes. That's <laughs> all he talks about. Anytime he comes up about Northern Ireland, you guys love potatoes. You live for potatoes. I always say to him, that's nonsense. No. We don't. Nope. We don't live for potatoes. We're not obsessed with potatoes. What's the first thing he sees when he rolls into Belfast City Airport this afternoon? <laughs> Mr. Motherfucking Tato. <laughs> Will you please welcome the even more smug than usual, James Dyer! Ooh. 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 Yes. Hello. So, the little potato chap who greeted me when I came off yes. the plane. Yes. Hello, I'm Jeff Tato. Him. Yes. So, so he's, he's the mascot of the people who make the crisps. Correct. <laughs> and these crisps have yes. the same name as the other crisps. There, yeah, of there, the same name, which are better than these crisps? There no. are two Tatoes. No? Oof. Is that not right? No. You've turned them against you. Have I already lost yeah. the crowd? <laughs> Shit. That's amazing. Wow, we could, we could talk about Tato crisps and men's fashion all night, but uh, sadly we don't have time. It's, it's a big thing to get into Tato. Yeah. Basically, Mr. Tato is the mascot of Tato crisps uh, who have their own castle in a place called Tandragi, uh, which is amazing. And uh, so he's the mascot. Basically, like Gary Lineker is the mascot of Walker Crisps. I don't understand. Only Mr. Tato has smaller ears, obviously. Um, uh, what we're going to do, obviously, we're going to talk about some movie news, but we will say that this is part of the Cinemagic Film Festival. We're so glad that those guys invited us over. We're very aware that it's a children's film festival and it's uh, aimed largely at, at families and that I've already dropped several F-bombs and uh, Helen's parents are here and it's all really, really terrible. So what we're going to try and do for the rest of the show is go full good place. So <laughs> where we can, say Hang fork on. instead of Hang the other on. one. Wait a forking minute. You, 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 you specifically told me that I wasn't allowed to swear today and you... And you I'm just saying that we're not allowed to swear. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Uh. Say shirt instead of... The, the other, other thing. Holy motherfucking shirt balls. Yeah, yes. That, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. We're going to get into it now. We're going to get into some, uh, some lovely movie news, a nice discussion of some lovely movie news. And there's been a shirt ton of it, yeah. thankfully. Has, sorry, yeah. sorry. A shirt load of it uh, That's correct, yes, there has been. There have been several oh. different stories, for example, about uh, the Batman. Mm. Uh, one of which you may not Where even know it? yet. You don't even know it. You don't even know. No. It, it dropped while you, while were, you were doing this. This is not... 
the sort of thing that happens in the podcast. We've gone off script. <laughs> we record stuff and then Hollywood releases I stuff. Oh, I know. Okay, uh, tell me. Okay. Yeah, so hang on. Does anyone know this? Yes. Oh, some people. Oh my do. goodness. Some people do. Oh yes. I, okay. Actually, I know it. Yeah. Hold on. Riddle to me you. this. Hey. 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 The riddle has been cast, and it's Paul Dano. Which right. is good casting, yeah. right? Yeah, I that's think that's really awesome. good casting. Round of applause. Woo. You guys are here. Yeah, yeah. Paul well, Dano. Paul Dano. Come on. Do you think uh, Matt Reeves said, book me, Dano? <laughs> oh, God. No. Maybe he said, who should we cast for the Riddler? And somebody went, Dano. Uh, and then, and he was like, yes. Equally good, although maybe not quite as good. Um, <laughs> this is interesting news. So we already obviously knew that Robert Pattinson will be the Batman. And what? we have found out this week that Zoe Kravitz will be the Catwoman. So yeah. it's, it's shaping up it really is. interestingly, I feel. For, for, for a film I really couldn't give a shirt about a while ago, I'm actually yeah. quite into this now. Next so, to uh, yeah. Paul Dano here, I've got written, small shifty eyes, menacing energy. Stop describing Ooh. James. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think he seems like a really good fit. Obviously, mm. there was the other news as well that Jonah Hill was in talks for some kind of role. They hadn't specified exactly mm. what there was going to be. There were reports that that could have been the Riddler. Yeah. The news came out last night that that had kind of fallen apart. Um, but Paul Dano is the Riddler. I don't know, there's just something about that that I can immediately yeah. picture. It's a villain we've not seen in a while. And one of the things that gets me quite excited about this is with the Jonah Hill reports, the fact that they hadn't settled on which villain he might play, it seems like we have a sort of youngish Batman, mm-hmm. a film potentially with several villains from the rogues gallery. Yep. Um, and that gets me thinking of something like uh, the Long Halloween comic which I would love them to do yeah. mm-hmm. uh, which if you haven't read it is kind of pretty shortly after the Batman year one stuff so he's early on in his like sort of role as Batman he's a fully fledged detective it's a proper detective story with all the villains uh, and somebody's bumping people off based on uh, every month there's like a different holiday and yeah. the holiday killer is bumping a different person off it's such a great comic mm. and they've never quite attempted that side of Batman in films yeah. before, so I'd love to see them do that. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know whether it's going to be a straight-up adaptation of something we've we've seen before. I imagine Matt Reeves will want to do something original, but I'm massively excited about the idea of there being a rogues gallery, because as we know, Batman has the best rogues gallery in comic books. I'm sorry, Spider-Man, but he does. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, the, he's got. Is it Polka Dot Man? Isn't that one of his? Polka Dot Man is a Batman villain? He sounds frightfully unstylish. Yeah. Okay. So. There's, there's a really great collection of, of bad guys at the top and yeah. then it, it loses its luster. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. it does tell um, off at the bottom. Yeah. But yeah, that would be fantastic because we haven't seen that before in a movie. We've seen him battle a couple of bad guys, a couple of villains, but never a whole ton. Apart, of course, from the 1966 Adam West movie yeah. where he goes up against the, the, the big four, so to speak. And uh, I'd be massively excited about that. The only concern I would have is, of course, in previous Batman films, well, the, the Tim Burton ones, the Joel Schumacher ones, where you get the sense that the, the director is more concerned with the bad guys than he is with the Batman. And I would hope that wouldn't happen here. But otherwise, this is pretty spot on casting. Disappointed mm. that Sienna Miller threw her, her hat into the cat ring last week on the, on the podcast. She even said she would go out and get a litter tray in, in, hmm. <laughs> in preparation dedication. for the role. And uh, a couple of days later, Zoe Kravitz got the gig. So it's a Who knows? shame, but she's going to be great. Who knows what Zoe Kravitz did cat-wise to get that role? <laughs> we don't want to know. 
another story, uh, another film that had about six million casting stories this week is yes. The Matrix mm. 4. Um, so we learned this week that Jessica Henwick, who was um, Colleen Wing in Iron Fist, which I know it wasn't great, but she was great. Uh, she's apparently going to appear in it. Uh, also, Jada Pinkett Smith is coming back. Uh, obviously, we all Naomi. remember her from the sequels to The Matrix, which are films that we can all definitely still describe. Yes, um, and she was I, in the Enter the Matrix video game. I was, we all remember right, yeah. very yeah. fondly. Yeah. And, I hadn't and forgotten she was in those movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. And Neil Patrick Harris is in it. Wow, yeah. yeah. Right? It's kind of like, okay, cool. No idea what that means. We don't know yeah. who he's playing. No. I'm going to say, like, the architect. Like, he would be... That Ooh. character, that I would like to see him do that. He would be great, wouldn't he? Oh, okay, I'm mm. sold. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's so that's all happening with the Matrix Four. It's shaping so up. It's, it's happening. It's not just shaping up, but if they're casting like this, mm. they must be about to go soon. Mm. That's exciting, <coughs> isn't it? It is exciting. It means in 2021, I think, is this when it's going to come out? We're going to mm. get the Matrix Four and John Wick Chapter Four, and uh, oh. I'm very, 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 very there for that. The oh. Reeves Naissance continues. It really does. Because he needs, he needs a helping hand, doesn't he, Keanu? Yeah. <laughs> Bang up for that one. Um, but it, I think, guys, it paled in comparison to the story that I'm most excited about this week, which is that Murder Mystery 2... Oh, God. <laughs> ...is on its way. Oh, my God. You can hear the rip of excitement... Is that what that ...around is? the room. This Somebody's is walking huge. out, Chris. Yeah. Walking. He's off so, to watch so Murder sorry. Mystery again yeah. because he loved it yes. so he was, much he was the first reminded, time. Oh my God, it's Luke Evans' best role. I must revisit <laughs> it immediately. Yes, thank you, sir. At least it's not the ridiculous seven. Let's just go there, yeah? Uh, Murder Mystery 2 is happening. The, uh, the writer of the original movie. Yes, there was a writer on the original <laughs> movie. Uh, James Vanderbilt. Uh, you, you, may, you, may, you may mock and pour scorn about Adam Sandler's Netflix movies all you like. Okay. But not yet. <laughs> okay. There'll be a time. Uh, now. No, don't do it now. <laughs> uh, but Murder Mystery is the one of the few, because the week of actually with Chris Rock's pretty decent as well, is one of the few that actually has a sense that it's not just Adam Sandler's mates making movies to make him laugh which sometimes you could maybe think that about certain movies like the Grown Ups movies and pretty much everything he made for a 10-year period uh, over the last few years. Um, it's got a real voice and James Vanderbilt is also the guy who wrote Zodiac. So I'm hoping that maybe he will bring the two worlds together <laughs> at some point <laughs> in this one. Why not have the Zodiac killer be the person that Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston are going to try and bring down this, this time? <laughs> Why not? Adam Sandler um, was born to solve. It really is. <laughs> is it though? <laughs> okay. I'm uh, massively excited about this, and I'm also massively excited. Did anyone see this? That this week, Jennifer Aniston joined Instagram, mm. mm-hmm. and her first post on Instagram, oh. <laughs> I'm not kidding, <laughs> honestly, made me a little teary, because it was all six friends Just in about. the same room. Just Lisa about. Lisa Kudrow, you get a bit of a forehead <laughs> a little bit of Lisa one Kudrow. eye, but, you know. A yeah. little bit of Matthew Perry, mm. and it was one of those grainy... Uh, selfies that yeah. indicates that she's got a really old iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> you'd think she could afford a new one. I'm just saying. Yeah, or maybe mm. someone to take the selfie for. You'd her. think. You would have thought because Gunther wasn't in the photo, and Gunther's always fuming <laughs> that he doesn't speak to any of the cast anymore. But they could have invited him at least to take the picture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe then they could have used yeah. the back camera. Yeah. Would he you was like the to see? Would you like to see friends come back? No. Well, now. Yeah. No. No. Leave it no. where it is. No. 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 Leave it alone. Maybe a standalone right. Netflix movie. No. Friends. El Camino. <laughs> <laughs> Could work. 
I mean, but the, Ross's getaway after murdering yeah, no, it's the other five. It's, just, it's Joey in an El Camino, which he's stolen from Top Gear, trying to get out of that. Trip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on one hand, there's El Camino, and then on the other hand, there's almost every other reboot, but especially <laughs> Gilmore Girls. So, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a risky thing. Don't do it. Um, so the craft thing was weird. So David Duchovny has joined the craft reboot. And now right. I can't be the only person who's weirdly, in a weird teenage girl way, very excited about the craft reboot. Please. I think yeah, you're no. the only person. Does <laughs> <laughs> no one love the craft? No, I'm it's excited about the craft. It's a yes. time of witches. Of course we all <sighs> we love, love the craft, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Unequivocally, no. I can I'm tell. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about this yeah. uh, reboot of The Craft. I Bunch mean, of hocus pocus, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's Blumhouse. I trust Blumhouse. Oh, um, hang on. I'm going to shift forward. For yeah, now. I'm interested. See, I've got you leaning in. Um, obviously, the 90s is back in a big bad way. Uh, it's kind of witchy. It's spooky. It's fun. Mm. The original is it's kind of a great thing in that mm. the original is really fun and it's really enjoyable. Yeah. But it's not an all-out classic. Yeah. So what, who's who's uh, David Duchovny playing in this movie? Presumably we one of the know. four teenage girls. Has everyone <laughs> seen him? <laughs> that was my assumption. Has everyone seen him in Twin Peaks? You know, he's uh, he's, he's done the big wig before. Mm. He's got range. Yeah, I, I assume he's playing a father or a teacher or someone like that. Oh, how reductive. Yeah. Oh, just get the guy to play a man or a teacher or something. That's Honestly, true. when are men going to get a okay, shake? Okay, okay, fine. I think he's going to play the Book of Magic. Okay, all right, good. He I didn't understand that, but I, I can see it landed with some of you, so that's good. Uh, I am massively excited about uh, two men who have managed to make their way uh, in Hollywood, which is very difficult for men, uh, as you know. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Ryan Rodney Reynolds, and uh, John Aloysius Krasinski uh, are teaming up to star in a film called Imaginary Friends. Mm. And this is exciting because Krasinski uh, is also going to write and direct this one. And uh, it's going to star Reynolds as a man who has the ability to actually talk to people's imaginary friends. But then he finds that some people have evil imaginary friends, and so he has to save the world from them. So we think Krasinski's going to play one of the imaginary friends. And I've said imaginary friends a load. But <laughs> are we excited by this? These two guys teaming up? Yes. Oh, definitely. I mean, it'll be exciting to see Krasinski as a filmmaker moving back towards comedy because I think it caught a lot of us out of left field when he did A Quiet Place. And it was like, Jim from The Office has gone really dark. Um, so the prospect of him obviously having now fil finished making uh, A Quiet Place Part 2, which is coming out next year, uh, to move back not just into comedy, but presumably you get Ryan Reynolds involved and you get freewheeling Ryan Reynolds doing whatever he does on the camera. You kind of script it, but you also just let him loose. Mm. And that's kind of what it felt like on The Office. There was a lot of kind of scripting on The Office, but also they were a bunch of really funny people all in a room together who, once they knew who their characters were, could just bounce off each other yeah. and come up with ideas that then they would flow into the show. And, and um, I feel like their comedy styles might be actually weirdly complementary mm -hmm. uh, in quite a nice way. Like, like, I think Krasinski can be a little bit more... Um, warm sometimes mm -hmm. than Reynolds because um, he's quite sharp and witty and kind of you know <laughs> flip flip at times mm. yeah and and so the, yeah that, that might be that might be really nice as long as Krasinski keeps the beard that's non-negotiable <laughs> well he's he's back on TV in a few short weeks in uh, Jack Ryan season two and he, he has a, he has a he has a proto beard it's not quite quiet place yeah but it's not quite first season Jack Ryan it's like a mid a mid-level beard. Mid-level beard. So we by season be. three, he should be like full-on Oh, he'll be rabbinic by yeah. the end of that. It'll be <laughs> okay. extraordinary. We awesome. will be, of course, reviewing that show on the Pilot TV podcast oh, in a few weeks' time. <laughs> I will, of course, be cutting that bit out of this podcast. <laughs>
Uh, I, I'm very excited about this. I'm excited about a lot of stuff this week. Um, obviously, I'm excited about the promotion of our Lord and Savior, Kevin Feige, uh, to the position of, and I think his Supreme official job leader. title is Lord and Savior you now know? at Marvel. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's now Chief Creative Officer yeah. at, uh, at Marvel, which means he's, uh, he's going to oversee a little bit more of the portfolio than he already has. Uh, but it also basically sounds like one of those bullshit job titles that you give to someone when they have been promoted so, hard, so high <laughs> and there's nowhere really for them to go. So you make up something mm. just to keep them happy. And I say this as a man who has a job title, Associate Editor, brackets, review. So, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, Nobody knows what that means. <laughs> I, editor at large, can what tell you. What does that you, mean? Can tell you that it's great having a job title that nobody understands because no, no one can tell you you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I no, might be. I don't know. People tell me I'm doing my job wrong all the time, Helen, <laughs> believe me. But editor at large, I get that, right? Because really? it means you're no, it means you're an editor. I've been an editor at large. Sure. I understood. I got the brief. I'm an editor. I will be at large. If anyone needs me, where am I going to be? At large. At my desk? No, I'm at large. That's what I was doing. But associate editor, associate with what? Shadowy cabals? I don't really know. I don't understand. But anyway, well done, Kev. Yeah. And uh, don't forget the little people who helped get you where you are today. Um, <laughs> snake eyes, snake eyes. Really? No, no. Okay. Steady. Uh, the world's most redundant movie, but 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 we like Henry Golding and Samara Weaving, who was really 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 good in uh, in the film. That's Ready or not? That's <laughs> the one in the incredibly memorable film Ready or Not. No, she was genuinely good. Really really good film. Yeah. She's fantastic in it, but she's going to be in Snake Eyes as well, which is very good. That's great. Uh, so a film that I was absolutely not going to watch. I am now. Probably not going to watch. <laughs> wow, just two more pieces of casting and he and might watch And I might watch it. watch it. This is amazing. We'll That's good. It's been a lot of casting news this week that Robert um, Eggers has oh, assembled yeah. a really good cast for The Northman. So that's set in 10th century Norway mm -hmm. and has a Viking prince type person Obviously. going out to avenge the death of his Viking king type person father. It has both Skarsgårds, well, two of the Skarsgårds. There's um, a lot of Skarsgårds. There's a lot of Skarsgårds, <laughs> yeah. 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 But this one has uh, Alexander Skarsgård and Bill Skarsgård. Um, I really hope they're playing brothers, otherwise it's a complete waste of everyone's time. Uh, Nicole Kidman will be, the rumour has it, their mum. Uh, Willem Dafoe's in it and Anya Taylor-Joy, who of course has formed with the director, having mm. been in The Witch, is also in it. And I'm interested. Uh, I'm mega hyped and pumped. Yeah, I'm both, mm -hmm. yeah. Because yeah. Uh, his, the, so he made The Witch, then he made The Lighthouse, he did. Um, he likes the definite article, doesn't he? he does, the witch, yeah. the lighthouse. And he um, really likes sort of super grim historical settings, yeah. and then you put characters in there and have bad things happen to them yeah. in really <laughs> beautiful, grainy sort of film stock. I'm so in for that. It's I'm really, so in for it's, that. Yeah, I mean, it's really, they're really good so far. So this is, this is exciting. I must confess, when I saw the, this news story, it was a picture of Alexander Skarsgård and it said The Northman and I thought it was a True Blood spin-off and I was really, really excited. <laughs> and it wasn't. Well, I'm sorry, James. <laughs> but he is obviously reuniting on screen with Nicole Kidman. Uh, of course. In a Big Little Lies reunion. There we go. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's not you. traumatic. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of bad associations <laughs> It worked there, out so well for him the last time, didn't it? Um, <laughs> Uh, speaking of historical settings and uh, putting people into bad situations in them, the Doolittle trailer uh, came out. <laughs> wow. It's out in January. Traditionally, that doesn't mean great things. You shouldn't uh, have 
huge expectations for well, this. I mean, it means great things if you're an Oscar contender. So maybe it's, an, it's either an Oscar <laughs> contender. Well, if you're an Oscar contender, you come out in January, you've missed the Oscar boat. So that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> so so um, uh, more yeah. of an ostrich contender. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a, I mean, loads of people were really down on this, saying it looks like a load of push-me-pull-you shit. But short, shirt, uh, wait, but, but uh, I thought this looked not horrendous. Really? Yeah. Which is what they were aiming for. But it, it is, yeah, not horrendous. But it is, it's got lots of strange choices in it. Not least of which, Downey seems to be doing a Welsh accent. Is we that think, what that was? We think it's Welsh. Oh. I think he's channeling Tony Hopkins, which would be amazing. So if he, basically, if it's about a man, if it's like a remake of The Edge, <laughs> yeah, I was about to and say, he's just trying to kill a push-me-pull-you yeah. that's gone nuts, then I'd be absolutely there for Doolittle. But if it's not that, and it's just a whimsical tale of a man who can talk to animals, then uh, it doesn't look that great. Well, if you see him in a scene with the talking bear, it's like, one man can do, another can do, what one man can do, another can do, another can do, what one man can do, another can do, what one man can do, another can do, stay away, Bob, stay away, ah, I'm gonna kill the motherfucking push me pull. <laughs> no swearing. No swearing. <laughs> But, in fairness, I felt it would have been diminished if he said mother forking in yeah, that moment. <laughs> Sorry, Helen's one. This hell? is going terribly yeah. well. Yeah, but there you go. So that's, uh, did anyone see the little trailer? Were we excited? Do we think? Yeah, Ooh, rumblings right? of discontent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if you're in a Doolittle frame of mind, I do recommend there's, a, there's been a clip going around the internet recently oh from, <laughs> from one of the original... From the Rex Dr. Harrison Yeah, version. from one of the yeah. early Doctor Doolittle films. Uh, where Dr. Doolittle is standing on a cliff with a seal wearing a bonnet who he has evidently fallen in love with <laughs> and he kind of gazes longingly into the eyes of the seal gives it a kiss on the mouth <laughs> kiss on the mouth and then, I kid you not chucks it off the cliff <laughs> so the first thing after this is done yeah it's very special. go and find that dr yeah. do a little clip yeah could you put it in context for the greater I have, story i have no other context for it i saw that clip entirely out of context and i wanted to stay that way yeah. because it brought me context so can joy. only lessen the bonnet wearing seal and then throws he, it to its the death real he just like no, no, poise he, it right he, off that cliff yeah he's not like good <laughs> carter he doesn't throw it off the top of a car car park <laughs> <laughs> just lands <laughs> It's a he throws it, he yeah. throws it into the water. Into the water. <laughs> He's giving the seal oh, I see. life they, again. It's they more like splattered on the rocks. That's what <laughs> I had in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I will say there would there would have been gentler ways to release it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, uh, yes. And also, how's it going to get the bonnet off? He, has not <laughs> he hasn't thought he this hasn't through. Thought it through. He has condemned that seal to its death, but maybe <laughs> that's what he wants to do. Uh, anyway, we should probably move on. Uh, Time now for our first guests. Uh, as you know, if you've been listening to these shows, these live shows, we like to have local heroes on when we can, and today is no exception. I'm delighted to welcome two of Northern Ireland's finest directors, a husband and wife team who have been behind the likes of Cherry Bomb, Good Vibrations, and their upcoming movie, the relationship drama Ordinary Love. Will you please welcome Glenn Leyburn and Lisa Barristasar? <laughs> You right? How are you both? Very Good, well. Thank you. Thank yes, you. well. 
Thank you for coming in. How have you have you travelled far? <laughs> we have travelled approximately one mile <laughs> to tonight. How was it? Was it arduous? Oh, it was tough. Yeah, it, it was, was tough. Really yes, tough. but worth it. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm tremendously excited about Ordinary Love, uh, which was at one point in this life called Normal People. Yes. Uh, before we get into right. what the film is itself, can you explain that title change? Well. Um, of course, there was a very famous book that rocked up in the process of us. <laughs> I mean, films can take a while to come together. Uh-huh. And uh, this one was reasonably quick, but it was still a couple of years. And uh, in those couple of years... Um, Sally Rooney uh-huh. uh, wrote a great book, um, unfortunately for us. And um, it was a great book, and it's continued to, to, to become more and more famous in the last couple of years. So it got to the point where we realised that we couldn't really release a film with the same name, particularly as I think Lenny Abramson is directing a TV ah, okay. series. Um, so you couldn't, for example, have just made Sally Rooney change the name? Uh, <laughs> it was a little bit late for yeah. that, I think. Have um, you tried Avengers Endgame, Sally? <laughs> Give that a go. <laughs> yeah. I think it's our producers tried to brave it and say, no, no, we're keeping it, we're keeping it. We were first, but, but actually, you know. But we knew every yeah. review and everything anyone wrote about it would f- have to first say, it's not, about the, it's not based on the book by yes. Sally Rooney. So that's, you know, that's oh. not necessarily what you want. No. Yeah, you would also, I would tell people that we're making this film and say, oh yeah, it's normal people. And then they'd go, oh, exciting. And then you would say, well, no, it's not that normal people. And then they'd go, oh, right. That's <laughs> so it was never that's great. not what you want. No. You don't want disappointment to start yeah, yeah. before they know anything about it so uh so we changed the name and it's surprisingly difficult to find a new name once you have become very used to the one that you've got uh it seemed like a simple task but actually it took about 10 people three weeks and a thousand different options before we came up with ordinary love which was also the first one we thought of okay so um yeah but we drove each other insane by texting things to each other in the middle of the night just all in caps just random words (laughs) in caps candles (laughs) yeah Uh, candles i like that Love lost. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have like a big board full of ideas? Just Just Glenn's phone. Everyone texted Glenn for some reason. So in capitals with lots of different (laughs) names. Yeah, just just felt like people shouted at me for two weeks. It was awful. (laughs) Yeah, it's really awful. it's, It's crazy in a way because obviously the film is the film. And that's the thing that people should watch and take away experience from. But some, a title is so important. It's so important. It? But actually now we've changed it. We think it's actually a much better title. We love the new title because mm-hmm. it is a love story. And that was what we really felt about it when we came to it, that we thought it was a really unusual love story. And that's, you know, that's great if that's the first thing that an audience is going to understand about the film. That's what they're going to see. Absolutely. So what can you say about the film? It's not out for a few weeks yet. The trailer is out there, of course. Uh, What can you say about it? It is. Well, yes, it's out on the 6th of December. And uh, Ordinary Love is a love story about the small moments and the big challenges that go into uh, long-term love, a long-term relationship. And it stars Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville as a couple who have been married for many years. They've spent Mm -hmm. a lifetime together through... Some really tough times, but also thousands of really beautiful, normal days. And uh, this is the story of what happens at the beginning of the year when Joan, played by Leslie Manville, is diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. So it's a story about the journey that this couple go on together, um, a journey that they want to go on together as much as possible. But of course, it's a very different journey if you're the one who is suffering from this illness and the one who is the partner of that person who's doing yes. so. 
So it is about that journey, that cancer journey, but ultimately it's really about the seasons and the cycles of a long-term relationship. And it really celebrates, a, I think, a connection between two people that keeps them both afloat. Absolutely. And what, was that the, the, the draw of you? It's written by Owen McCafferty. Um, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things, I mean, coming off the back of uh, Good Vibes, mm. which was a completely different thing, really. Yeah. I mean, Good Vibes was kind of like uh, trying to harness chaos, <laughs> and um, in many ways, you know, that was in, on the shoot, and and just the sub- it suited the subject matter, I think. Yeah. Uh, but this was much more intimate. One was somebody we'd wanted to work with for for years. We'd had a couple of slightly false starts with that, um, and uh, then this came along. Um, David Holmes, who's our partner in our production company, is a lifelong friend of Owen's. Okay. And uh, the story's based on on fact. Uh, you know. Owen and his wife went through this journey. Uh, uh, Owen's gone on and dramatised the events, so there are certain things that happened in our film that did not happen to Owen and Peggy, but but certainly they experienced this journey. And uh, as you mentioned, it's got a a tremendous cast. It's principally anchored, of course, by by Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville. And I think it was Liam's first Northern Irish movie for... Donkey's years, as they would say over here. Yeah, five minutes of heaven. I think maybe would be the last one. Was it? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you how did you persuade him to put down the gun? And <laughs> and it was hard. This. He did ask us occasionally on set if it was time for him to kill someone with a rolled up newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> He had a gun down his sock for most of the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. Just, just it's there, it's reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Useful. So uh, was, he, was it an easy sell for him? He, you know, Liam is a great theatre actor and, uh, and a great serious actor. So, you know, we always knew that, um, we always knew there's other material that he will enjoy apart from action films. We had been talking to him about a pro- another project in the last couple of years, um, one which, in the way of many, many films, just sort of didn't quite get to this point. Uh, of being made, so yeah. um, but we having having just talked to him and got to know him a little bit, we just had a sense of the sort of interests he might have and the sort of stories that he might be interested in telling. And uh, when this one came along, um, we just read the first draft and we heard his voice in it. Really, mm. it was written for you know, it's a, a, a man of that age uh, and from here. And I think that's one of the things that he really liked about it: the chance to play a character who's quite similar to himself. He wanted yeah. to put a lot of Liam Neeson in, into this. Mm. Yeah, and it's probably quite rare to send a first draft to an actor, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he connected with it and I think he did hear his own voice in it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and actually then when, when Liam Neeson becomes attached to your project, things move quite quickly. And uh, there was a window to shoot and everybody moved really fast and we, <laughs> we cut the film in And he was instrumental in bringing Leslie Manville, uh, who's an amazing actress, on board as oh, well. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, to be honest, we wanted Leslie Manville, you know, because we, I mean, we have been huge fans of hers since, you know, the, her earliest films with, you know, when she, Mike Lee's movies are, are ones that mm. people know her well for. And, um, of course, through Phantom Thread and many of the other things. Um, we just, we've just been huge fans and we just had a feeling that uh, just something about, you know, both Liam and Leslie, they both have this quality of naturalism. You know, you, you believe them when they're on screen. You're convinced by the emotional reality of everything that they're doing. And, uh, but, you know, they can also bring a real lightness and humour as well. And so we just had a feeling that they might be a great dynamic <laughs> together. And Liam certainly was really keen to have Leslie too. So 
uh, and we just hoped there would be a great chemistry. You know, we were excited about the idea of bringing those two great actors together on screen. We thought we, you know, we would love to go and see them. If we if we saw them headlining a movie, we would think that's yeah. an exciting yeah. combination of actors. So. Um, and they never worked before. They they never met actually. Really? Which, yeah, yeah. They, and they, knew, they knew everybody. You know, they had a whole connection of everybody that they knew. Yeah. But um, they had never met. So that's that's interesting that Liam yeah. gravitated towards Leslie for this in terms of suggesting her, having never met her. So yes. it, it almost feels like it was meant to be. In it. In I a weird think way. he it was. A, a, she'd obviously um, worked with Daniel Day yeah. and um, Liam's friends with him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I think you know, like everyone, you know, Leslie's been doing incredible work for years, and then. Mm. I suppose recently with Phantom Thread, and she's, you know, I'm sure, I think Liam, Liam like us, had been a fan of Leslie for a while, and this just part just seemed really right for her. So, uh, so we were delighted. It was a real privilege to to bring the two of them together on screen for the first time. So you you hinted at it there that you know a couple of projects post Good Vibrations got close to the starting line and then didn't yes. quite make it over the starting line. What? Yes, that's the, the life of a director, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, sadly, uh, especially I, I guess working in the British film industry and working at a certain yeah. budget level as as well. I mean, how tough is it, quite frankly, in this market to get a movie like this? Made. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really tough. I mean, as I said, I mean, probably we had two or three projects, and those things can be cast. You know, you can get it to a point where everybody likes the script, and then you need to get cast it and cast that will finance it, and it all becomes a kind of this crazy cycle. And really, you have to get planets to align. I mean, so much of it is. Is seems to be that's right. I mean, just we, the movie gods, the luck of the movie gods. Too, I think there were two or three films that were fully cast and just waiting for a green light, and then for whatever reason, in great cast as well. I mean, right. you know, yeah, absolutely. solid cast that you would have assumed would, would would complete finance, and then things just sort of just drift apart. And how do you deal with that? Do you have to be quite stoic about it, quite philosophical? Yeah, or? I mean, when we were doing Good Vibes. We had, we thought we had lots of projects on the go, but we actually didn't. And um, so, good vibes really felt like all our eggs were in one basket. Uh-huh. And you know, we're a married couple, and it sort of felt like we'd maybe bet the farm on that. Um, so that was a <laughs> challenge. And and good vibes had many times where it really didn't happen. Finance collapsed. We lost. We were at the brink of doing it, and then financiers pulled out and put their money elsewhere, and it collapsed. And then had to get new things start again. And you know when that that sort of happens, it's not like oh we'll sort this out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you're literally talking about oh that'll be another year minimum. It could be two years. You know. Right. So it's a tough journey. That's whereas true, yeah. whereas now I think we we do have many more projects. We understand that you need to have more projects because sadly some invariably will fall away and mm. um, yeah, you just need to have other stuff. That's right, with Good Vibrations at one point, you know, it was coming up to Christmas and I think something had just happened <laughs> with the fact, and we sort of talked on the phone over Christmas with the producers and said, well, you know, maybe we can, you know get together with some friends and you know just shoot a few scenes on the weekends you know if we can yeah right. if, we, if can we know a couple of camera people, people they can together. show up and oh this is God. literally where we were at you know because i mean pretty we, depressing just yeah yeah and then again the movie gods kind of kicked into gear and, and then some something happened we got new finance we bbc films came aboard and and then quite quickly we got it shot but there was a year or two where we thought okay we're going to be shooting it in two <coughs> months time that's going to be and then you put everything on hold and then in two mm. months time there's another delay oh my God. so yeah so we you, you just have to have a lot of things going on it's kind of sad 
Yeah, I mean, I, in a way, like as long as it's not sort of a five-year gap, I mean, I don't mind the modulation of kind of developing for a little bit and then shooting and then editing and post-production and then back into development. You know, I, I kind of, that's kind of an interesting journey. But, yeah. but But if it, you know, if the development goes on and on and on and on, <laughs> and that's not when it, it ceases to be interesting and becomes yeah. incredibly stressful. And that, that gap between projects on your CV becomes increasingly Kubrickian yeah. as well. Yeah, it's, just like it's funny because <laughs> when you meet people who sort of, don't do what we do they sort of think that for those five or six years you've kind of been doing nothing you know you've just kind of been mooching about and you know <laughs> and just film just appears yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know so we're writing scripts and we've, we've uh, so we've got a few projects on the boil but you never quite know what's going to happen next or what's going to get to that point next absolutely and you know talking about how difficult it is to get made films in the current climate and with the, the British film industry is one thing but what I love about you guys is that you're very focused as well you're based here you're focused in Northern Ireland and telling Northern Irish stories as well, but is that going to change, or is that is that something that remains important for you? Well, I, in a way, that wasn't particularly intentional. Uh, I, you know, the fil- the other films that we were, we have made three feature films here, which has been incredible. Um, we've built up an am- amazing team of collaborators, and the crews here are extraordinary. As everyone has said, I mean, both Liam and Leslie, when they came to shoot here, very early on in the shoot work both came up and said how amazing how amazed they were by the quality of the crews and how everything was working but no we, we didn't really mean to, to keep making films here necessarily <laughs> um, we, uh, we a couple of films that we were going to be shooting in between were not set here one was set in Paris another in England not set here that's a disgrace and, uh, <laughs> although you know we always joke that you know every film that's not set here you know will just end up being on the lagon with a smoke machine and you know somehow <laughs> somebody will say no you'll have to do it here it's supposed to be Paris but it's fine we'll work it out but, uh, so we'll see <laughs> why not but anyway any it, yeah, but it's not like we don't want to shoot. I mean, we we love shooting here because we do have great friends and crew and collaborators. Uh-huh. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, also you want to tell stories that are you know kind of. Yeah. I think apart, you know, apart from Good Vibrations, which was very much centered around Northern Ireland, the other two features we've made were uh, it was an incidental back to yeah. a degree that they were story universal stories that could have been set anywhere but it was nice in a way to use no, Northern Ireland great, yeah. as that sort of background Absolutely. That it's particular and it's specific but it's not those films are not to do with the subjects that people might associate this place <laughs> with I mean we, we do have we actually have um, another project another Northern Irish project um, in development so you know it's very specifically about here and, okay. Um, probably it's hits in it around the same time as Good it Vibes. Is, yes, is it, it okay. is. Yes. Is it about the Emperor Podcast? Is that what it's about? That's what it's about. Yes. <laughs> Story of the Emperor Podcast. This is Podcast. a very meta kind there of evening go. that we're having. <laughs> also yeah, we're looking for a charismatic frontman <laughs> too. Yeah. yeah. But look, there are so many stories. You know, there are so many stories still to tell from this place and about this place. So it's a very rich source for, for us, and we're very proud to make films here. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, we've also had great support from Northern Ireland Screen and, mm. and organisations like that. So we'll hope to, you know, we'll hope to, to do both, maybe. Of course. Go on. I say this as someone who left Northern Ireland 20 years ago, uh, but <laughs> I think it is important that you, uh, that you guys uh, are, are making films set here and, and are shooting films here as well. I think that's in- incredibly important. And quite frankly, what does Paris have that Banbridge doesn't? Yeah, exactly. That's a very yeah, good yeah. question, yes. You know, yeah. Paris has that big needle thing. <laughs> But Banbridge has the cut. Yes. Which is, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Banbridge, but it's a bridge over a road in the middle of a town. Wow. <laughs> 
It's got a yeah. sculpture garden, Chris. It's got a sculpture garden. It's got all sorts of stuff, you know. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Glenn and Lisa's next film is set in Banbridge. <laughs> you heard it here first. That's an exclusive for you guys. Uh, and then I'm sure there are lots of people in the audience tonight who are budding filmmakers and will look at you guys as uh, sources of inspiration as well. So how do you become filmmakers in Northern Ireland? How do you, how do you make that possible? Yeah, well, I mean, actually our kind of trajectory to being filmmakers, directors, was it was kind of, wasn't really planned. Uh, Lisa was writing, mm-hmm. and I was working as a graphic designer for many, many years. I thought you were going to say as a waitress in a cocktail bar <laughs> for a second. <laughs> well, I, yeah, well, I had to do that a bit as well, but yeah. Um, yeah the, uh, no, I mean, I, I worked in graphic design, did some music um, design, through that got asked to do some very low-budget pop videos, and that was my inroad into kind of filmmaking or moving image. And uh, Lisa was writing, and uh, we decided we would come together to make a short film, just to get Lisa's writing out there and mm-hmm. uh, up on a screen. And um, we collaborated directing that, and um, liked it, and people liked the short, and it travelled and did stuff, and yeah, that was, that's where it started. But it was never a grand plan, it just sort of, it just sort of fell together a bit like that. Fantastic. And uh, how does that dynamic work? I mean, I, I've been on sets... Uh, where I've seen Brothers direct. I don't know if I mentioned the little film called Avengers Infinity War. Uh, <laughs> and it's mad watching the Russo brothers direct because they don't talk to each other. They just... And one will get up and, make, and give a note at the end of a take and then we'll sit down. And they don't seem to speak to each other, but they seem to know what the other one's thinking and then the other yes. one will get up and make another note. I'm sure that they probably... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, a, an excuse not to talk to each other for a second. <laughs> 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 yeah, we're married. That's it's, not how uh, it, Yeah. yeah. But I'm sure they, I don't know what they do, but I would imagine that they spend a lot of time preparing and, and working out beforehand what the voice of the film is going to be. Okay. Um, that's what we try to do, wouldn't you say? That we, yeah, yeah. That, that, that it's all about that time you spend beforehand and doing all the work and, and working out the vision. And, and so you do, it's all about knowing the tone of it and, 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 and what it is that you're trying to, and if you both really understand that tone and that voice, I think, then it's quite easy on set in a way because you know the place you're making decisions from and you also have to have a lot of trust and mm-hmm. that, that the other person is going to you trust the great decisions that they are going to make as well and then you can have a bit of freedom as well so you don't always have to be running back and checking things you can be free to make decisions yeah. um, and as long as that every, you're clear about that voice and that, that kind of central vision for it I mean on set uh, I think uh, it appears that our jobs are more separate on set because I deal mostly with camera and some of the more technical aspects of things. You are know. you scared of actors, Glenn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah Why wouldn't absolutely. you be? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Lisa works with the actors. Yes. I mean, I think it's it's important to have a singular voice with the actors because I, I, oh, you, know, okay. you don't want for me to go over and give a note and them think, all right, well, he wants that, but I wonder what Lisa wants, you know, because <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that yeah. would be kind of confusing and not very So that, that's really important to but just the tr- have But I mean, the truth voice. is that we, we, we do understand, we share, you know, we look at the monitor yeah, and understand we really collaborate on everything. It's just about that, I suppose, the experience for the actors on set that you want them to feel as though there is one voice and that, that it, it, it just simplifies that and makes it a clearer relationship. So it's always worked better for us that way anyway. Fantastic. They never give us much time to make these things, so actually having two people is always good. <laughs> we can run in opposite directions and move fast. The old two yeah. heads is better than one. Yes. Guy. I like it. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to come in today. Uh, I can't wait for the film, and it's out on December 6th as well. You please give it up once again for Lisa Barastasar and Glenn Leyburn, everybody. Thank you. Oh, that was amazing.
Thank you so much. That was fantastic. Ben, thank you so much. And now it is time to review this week's movies. And there is a shirt ton once again of them this week. So we're going to start with the return of everyone's favorite zombie killing foursome in Zombieland Double Tap. A decade after the original shone a light on zombies, because uh, no one had ever really made movies about zombies before. And then Zombieland came along, and since then, that was pretty much the only thing everyone has ever done about zombies. And now they're back again they, to, to sate our hunger. Ben, you're going to lead in this one. What do you think of Zombieland Double Tap? It's okay. There you go. No, uh, this is uh, the return of uh, the entire crew, basically. So it's kind of mad that it's 10 years since the first Zombieland film came out. That's slightly terrifying. Uh, more terrifying than anything that happens in Zombieland, because they're pretty sort of chill zombie films as they go. Uh, but yeah, great that 10 years on, the entire team is back. So you've got uh, Woody Harrelson as Tallahassee. Uh, you've got Emma Stone as Wichita. Jesse Eisenberg leading as Columbus. And Abigail Breslin as Little Rock. Uh, and this catches up with them 10 years on and it seems like, to be honest, not much has happened. They've made their way to the White House where they've been living uh, in kind of relative safety. Uh, but then the group starts to fracture now that um, Little Rock is kind of grown up and she's never had that experience, especially as a sort of teenager or young woman, of being in the outside world. She's desperate to leave. Uh, the group starts to fracture and that's a very, very loose plot just to hang a load of fun zombie stuff on. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that this is light on plot is kind of less of, of a criticism, really. I quite liked that it was very light on plot because it meant that there was nothing weighing it down of trying to manoeuvre things in certain ways. It just meant that they could keep it really light and sprightly and just have all sorts of like bloody zombie chaos uh, with these really fun performances. So I think especially Emma Stone, who in, in the intervening 10 years has gone on to do such kind of weighty a lot of serious oscar stuff often like fun you think of the favorite yeah, and that's yeah. such a juicy role that she got to to kind of uh to to throw herself into but seeing someone like emma stone go back to like Zombieland, super bad easy a emma stone which is a great great mode of emma stone um was really fun and she's yeah. evidently having a great time mm. with it um and they she all gets, seem to like, like each other and be glad mm, to be back do. together which is I, good i think this film like is carried so much on these really kind of entertaining performances and really likable actors in those roles. Mm. It, it gets by on like a steady stream of chuckles. There are a couple of bigger laughs in there. It's not the funniest film I've ever seen, but they're actually an enjoyable bunch to spend a bit of time with. Yeah. Imagine if it had been. You'd be, you'd be absolutely delighted. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised they got her back and I'm really, really happy that they did. Mm. And not to give spoilers away, I also thought that it would be I'm an Oscar winner now, so kill me off the first five minutes. Mm. And it isn't that. Uh, so she's actually a, a major part of the film, mm. and that's great. Uh, I reviewed this for Empire. I gave this three stars. If you read the review, it actually reads like a two. Um, <laughs> I, was, just, I was writing the review going, oh, I quite like this film. I don't know what's happened here in this review. Um, this is weird. Okay, a bit of praise at the end, three stars. Uh, that's, that's my process, folks. That's how I work. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it it's patchy, it. isn't it? It's a it patchy is. film. Yeah. But, but, but when it's funny, it's really funny. Yeah. And, it, and it's funny enough that you come out feeling good about but it. it. But yeah. it's not good. No, it's like, good. No, it's, like, it's, it's objectively good. not good. <laughs> no, I, see, but I think they're, they're very charming and it is funny. And yeah. so the fact that it has yeah. no plot and isn't good becomes less <laughs> important. But it's also it's quite stylish. You know, they, they do some fun things visually. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it, it's entertaining without yeah. being... 
Good. They upgrade the zombie kill of the week from the first movie. Mm. Right? People like the first movie. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. 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 It's so not they, as good they as upgrade that. that to zombie kill of the year. And, and again, I don't want to give stuff away, but there's some really inventive yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. entries in in that canon. And it's fun, and there's some really interesting, fun new characters. The problem with it is that the first movie had they were so likable. The quartet together mm. was so likable, and they felt like rounded characters, even as they were they were slightly over the top. This, the new characters in this are. Entertaining, but they're caricatures. Yeah, that's uh, The yeah. main new character in this is Madison, who's a, a sort of fally girl, airheady cheerleader, who's played by Zoe, Zoe, Deutsch. Zoe Deutsch. But she really gives it this performance. This performance yeah. is really funny. A lot of gusto, and it, without her, it would seem like a really mean-spirited joke, and it still does at times. Mm -hmm. uh, There's a lot of jokes at her expense, yeah. and you keep yeah. waiting for them to kind of flip the, the tables. And to it kind doesn't of really happen. And it doesn't happen. They just kind of keep being mean <laughs> to her. But she's so like bright and yeah. has such a good energy. I think that's kind of what this film had to me. Like mm. That's partly what carries it through, <laughs> is that it, it's got just quite a, a nice energy to it. I think there's a few decent stylistic flourishes in the way that it shoots bits of the action or the zombie kills. There are a couple of nice sort of of um, stylistic moments in there. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I think this is a perfectly straight down the line sort of three star film. Absolutely, I agree with you. This is a two boarding on three star film <laughs> <laughs> that I gave three stars. So three stars then for Zombieland, <coughs> Mistress of Evil. Sorry, <laughs> Zombieland, Double Tap. So hard to keep track of the names th this week. So many, so many sequels. So many sequels. So earlier in the show, uh, you may remember that I remembered that uh, we had an interview with Rupert Fleischer, the director of Zombieland Double Tap, and I was racking my brains on a way to introduce it in this show, so here it is. <laughs> Um, so welcome, thanks for joining us on the Empire Podcast. This is obviously a, a slightly belated sequel in some ways. Um, how long after you started thinking about the story and everything did you find a, a gap in your cast schedules? Because <laughs> they're the most in-demand people in Hollywood, it seems. Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of a two-part process. The first part was getting the script ready to a place that everyone would agree to, to be a part of the film. And then the second part was, okay, now that they've all agreed trying to work it all out luckily it, it came together without too much effort and i think that was in large part because the cast was very excited to go back to zombie land yeah. so that made it easy but yeah we we shot it only just in january of this year so it was in in the scheme of things a pretty quick turnaround we finished shooting at the end of march i believe wow. and so we've pretty much put it together and put it out yeah. in six months or something so wow. it's uh it's been a very fast process is, is that something that's quite nice in some ways? I'm guessing it's been stressful in some ways, but is it nice for you as a director in some ways after something as huge as Venom, um, which I guess, I mean, this is a big movie and it has big stars, but I feel like that had probably more moving parts and more sort of shutting down streets and things like that. So is, is this almost like a, a, a weird getting back to basics in a, in a strange way? That's what I loved about it. It, it was, for me, there's so much nostalgia for the first movie and the experience I had making it because it was my first film. So uh, I just have a real, I don't know, soft spot in my heart for it. Like it just was for me everything, you know, it changed my life. And so to get to work with these people again and to uh, go back to that world, it was like a reunion uh, of sorts. And then from a filmmaking perspective, we actually had fewer days on this movie than we did on the original. Whoa. It was uh it was a tight schedule and we um but I do think I've learned a lot in the time since the first film. So I was able to solve problems in a 
more informed way so that we could be as efficient as possible. Awesome. So, so tell me about the, the sort of the story of the film and the, the idea of it. What was the, the kind of the key that, that kind of got you into the story and, and made you feel like this is right? Well, the trick is uh, the first movie ended with the relative happy ending. You know, all four of them drive off into the sunset together, as it were. Um, and so in some ways, the passage of time benefited us because it allowed us to create a scenario where Little Rock isn't so little anymore, and she wants to leave the nest and be her own person, which was the motivation um, for this movie's plot, is that she's now no longer a 12-year-old. She's a young woman who wants to have her own life and her own friends and a boyfriend and everything else. And so, like any rebellious teenager, she splits and then the difference is that the world in which she's living is filled with zombies, and so she could be eaten any minute. So our heroes feel a responsibility to go rescue her from this potential threat. Yeah, which, understandably, that's a, a real threat. Um, and the zombies are different. Yeah, that's that was a fun thing in coming up with, well, in the 10 years since the original, what's changed? Um, our... Our zombies, you know, there's a different types of zombies, but ours are um, viral zombies. They're they're not the undead per se. They're they are a result of um, being contaminated with a virus, and so it kind of made sense in our pseudo scientific way that the virus would evolve, and as such the zombies themselves would evolve. And so we the, the characters give them different names. They have a Homer, they have a ninja, they have a Hawking, and the most fearful of all is the T-800, which are a sort of super zombie um, that's an even bigger threat to to our heroes. Yeah. So, I mean, how did you kind of develop those different kinds? Was, was it sort of a response to some of the... I don't know, evolution of zombies in pop culture almost in in the meantime? Because, I mean, you you yourself have been involved in Santa Clarita Diet, for example. We've had The Walking Dead all these years. You know, so is, is, is it, are you sort of sitting there thinking, we, we want to give something people something new. We want to push this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the way it evolved, to be honest, was that we, we originally said that the zombies had become a bit boring. Not to comment too much on the surrounding world of pop culture zombies but we were we were just saying that you know our heroes had gotten so good at killing them that there wasn't really any threat anymore which is what allowed them to you know last 10 years is that they'd kind of mastered it all and so the idea of these super zombies uh which we call either bolts or t-800s um was to raise the stakes a little bit especially for tallahassee who is the world's greatest zombie killer. So mm. for him, having this new level of threat is almost exciting because uh, he's gotten a bit complacent with uh, just your average everyday zombies. Yeah. And and uh, he, he absolutely rises to that threat. I don't think it's a spoiler to say he's genuinely thrilled on some levels, at least, that he's got somebody kind of worthy of his talents. Yeah, he's he's um he's up for the challenge. And I'm really proud of the the final zombie battle, which mm. has a really cool Tallahassee moment um, that, that I got to give credit to the writers for just conceiving of such a terrific idea. But uh, I think it's a pretty, pretty epic zombie kill. Yeah. I hadn't seen that done before. So that, that was quite cool. No spoilers, but 
yeah, that that was really interesting. So uh, there are some new characters as well. Uh, you, I think we've seen them in the trailer. So I'm hoping it's not a spoiler to say that, but there's some there's some surviving humans that they meet. So, you know, what were you looking for when you when you went out to to try and conceive of those people? Um, I think the biggest thing was a from a directing perspective, casting actors who could hold their own against this cast, which is not a small task, uh, just given how great our original cast is. So, um, you know, really funny, talented people uh, was essential. But then with the other aspect, I guess, is just people who feel like they fit within the world of Zombieland because it does have its own kind of identity or tone. Mm -hmm. And so um, we were real lucky. I mean, Rosario Dawson, I can't imagine a better foil for uh, Woody or Tallahassee. She's just a total badass and a fellow Elvis lover. And she feels like the perfect match for uh, Woody's character. And then um, Zoe Deutsch was like a real discovery. She plays a character named Madison, who's a bit of a send-up of a millennial kind of uh, circa 2006 Paris Hilton. <laughs> she She definitely channeled that spirit. But she, uh, I think audiences will be really excited to meet her character, Madison, who just makes me laugh every time I watch yeah. the movie. She's truly funny. Everything I see her in, she's fantastic. And it usually takes me about five minutes to recognize her because she's so completely different in every single film. I actually haven't seen much of it, if anything, of what she's done. I mean, for me, it was like, I remember in her, when she came in an audition and she had that character like pretty much dialed, I... Uh, I had to look her up and see who she was because I wasn't <laughs> familiar with her, but she just totally blew me away. Amazing. Um, and and we've also seen in the, the trailer, we've seen Luke Wilson and Thomas Middleditch, who are just two of the funnier people around. Um, but what was what was the plan of having them as a sort of a mirror to uh, Tallahassee and Columbus? Yeah, we just thought it was so funny to have this kind of doppelganger concept. And uh, the the casting was perfect. Thomas is so so funny and really kind of channeled uh jesse's neurotic uh <laughs> style and he's an incredible improviser as is jesse and so the shooting the scenes between them uh was such a joy because they just brought so much comedy to the table and a lot of it ended up in the movie like some of those exchanges between them are completely improvised and uh, are some of my favorite laughs in the film you're kidding i had no idea yeah wow. it, uh, there's so much improvisation in the movie actually like zoe to give an example that whole thing with the binoculars uh-huh. it wasn't in the script like that just evolved on the set that day that that whole concept mm -hmm. uh which has made it into the trailers and and whatnot she 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 was great at improvising but that the exchange with um with i'm gonna laugh talking about it but columbus <laughs> and uh and uh flagstaff where they're going back and forth about t2 and and then he asks him what his favorite movie is and jesse jesse's character says fantasia and it it honestly it it, I died on the like when yeah. we shot that, but yeah, it was completely improvised in the moment, and 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 so much so in fact that Jesse hasn't seen the movie, and I remember seeing him saying how funny that Fantasia joke was, and he had no recollection of even saying it. <laughs> he didn't even remember saying it. Like it just, you know, was in the moment for that second, and that was the take we used, and it, it's just so funny. There's also a twitch in reply to that. When he says Fantasia, there's a twitch in Thomas Middleditch's face. Like, that's my number two. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. like, he can't believe yeah, it. Yeah, his reaction kills me too. And we, we actually had 
in post sound we uh originally there was no sound on that and we we dubbed a sound to put in because his face kind of just his reaction is so funny <laughs> it needed like the the accompanying sound and he the sound he made was thomas is just a truly funny guy um, now, this won't be something I'm missing out as somebody who isn't American, but do you think a lot about the geographical locations of people's names? Like, is Flagstaff a sort of equivalent to Columbus, Ohio? Are they almost twin cities in, in, a, in a, if the feel of the city? That's a great question. Um, there's a real, really interesting aspect to Flagstaff and Albuquerque's name, actually, uh, which may be boring, uh, so apologies in advance to anyone who's listening, but for me it's fascinating. So in the original draft of the Zombieland script, Zombieland 1, Columbus and Tallahassee were named Flagstaff in Albuquerque. Oh. And we were going to shoot the movie in the Southwest, uh, like New Mexico or Arizona or something like that, and have that landscape. And that's how the movie was conceived. But due to tax credits, which are what drives where movies are shot in large part in America, we ended up shooting in the great state of Georgia. And so having two Southwestern characters didn't make as much sense. So we struggled because we'd known those characters forever as Flagstaff and Albuquerque, which uh, then got replaced by Columbus and Tallahassee. So it was a almost an inside nod to ourselves, <laughs> which no one else other than the listeners to this podcast uh, will appreciate that they were called Flagstaff and Albuquerque, which was the original names of Columbus and Tallahassee. Oh, that's really, that's really neat then. You got yeah. to use them after all. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, and what about, uh, there, there's another, you, you mentioned the uh, T-800s also being called Bolts. Did you have to look at sort of pop culture references like that? Because that's obviously a reference to Usain Bolt and the fact that they're fast so did you have to think about or we can't reference that it it happened after the zombie apocalypse well there's a it's funny because Thomas even says remember him uh, as if to acknowledge like it's been a a long time since anyone name dropped Usain Bolt but like uh, yeah I mean with everything we wanted to say that time stopped in 2009 Uh, so whether like there's no songs, there's no pop culture references. Madison stuck somewhere in 2006 or whatever. Like her styles, like Von Dutch and Juicy Couture, and um, but yeah, it was really important that we just said time stop. Like so, we meet them at the White House at that time. Obama would have been in office, so uh, that's what the the White House looks exactly as it did during obama like we researched it and the wow. the way the oval office looks is the obama oval office yeah. oh yeah because they change the curtains sometimes yeah and yeah different art and so on but they also they, they've clearly the, the white house is their home at the beginning of this film so they have clearly personalized it they've clearly brought in their own stuff and kind of put their own yeah stamp on the place i i mean i love the idea that in the post-apocalypse you can do anything so one of my favorite sets although it's not very heavily featured in the film is Tallahassee's man cave which was uh, built in the White House motor pool Mm -hmm. and it's got I mean the production design and the set dress decorators did such an amazing job and you you can't even really appreciate how much stuff was in there but the idea was that he'd gone to the Air and Space Museum and and pilfered a bunch of spaceman costumes or he has uh, you know the president's limousine which is called the Beast what Circa Obama is there and that's become his like Mad Max car but there was all these weapons that he'd kind of made himself. But yeah, I just love the idea that like they can go and do or get everything. So if they have a Papa shot, which is those basketball things they have, uh, where you, where you try and hit as many, um, buckets as you can. 
I was like, they might as well have a papa shot in the halls of the the White House because why not? Like yeah. they can do whatever they want. Who's going to say no? Yeah, exactly. All the grown ups are away, basically. Yeah. Um, have you thought about where you'd go in the zombie apocalypse? Do you do you have these conversations? Because we do in the Empire office. Oh, really? That's funny. one of my colleagues. I'm not kidding. Has a zombie apocalypse go bag by his door. Wow. Yeah. I'm impressed. Uh, no, I mean, I live in Los Angeles and. Every time there's a bad traffic jam, I just realize like I'm like when the zombies come, we're all we're all done for because you you just can't get out of town. Like it's gonna be just gridlock, and so I think I'll be uh I'll be a uh, a delicious meal for the zombies. Unfortunately, um, did, what what would your rules be? What would you focus on in 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 the zombie apocalypse? Uh, I don't have a ton of good ones. I mean, I think Columbus's are pretty useful, and so I might steal a couple of his. Um, the one rule that I think, um, well, actually, Woody, in just an interview that we did, it was clean underwear. I was, thought that was a pretty good addition. Uh, but for me, um, it would be something to the effect that expiration dates are merely a suggestion because uh, that's something we had to think about is how these people were even eating mm-hmm. 10 years later. Yeah, I think I think they're more of a guideline than yeah, a rule exactly. or a commandment. So <laughs> I think that's kind of fine. Um, so you know, it's been it's been nine years since the since the last one. Did you have to ten years? Ten years. Oh my god. Yeah, ten right. years to the to the day almost. Um, so did you have to kind of worry about how much people would remember? You know, was there was there a temptation to kind of over-explain things, or were you worried about under-explaining things, or did you kind of feel like you know we're just going to stick to what we know people know? Yeah, you know, it's hard to predict but um we just worked from assuming that the first one had happened and that this was picking it up where kind of it left off even though there is the 10-year gap but yeah i mean if people are confused they can go watch the first one but i think that they go pretty much hand in hand and and there's references within this film to the first one um but i think that's a nice a nice thing for fans you know, to acknowledge, like there's a scene where uh, uh, Columbus is Columbus and Madison uh, are 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 potentially gonna have a kiss, and she says, "What's the matter? Don't you think I'm pretty?" And he says, "Yeah, you're pretty, like girl in apartment four hundred six, pretty." And you know, if you've never seen the first one, you won't get that reference. But it makes me happy when I watch that movie with an audience and they laugh at that reference and they get it like it makes me feel like oh this is dialed in for the for the people who are who want to be here yeah yeah this is one for the fans yeah feeling yeah um and what about you know one of the things that people absolutely remember about the first film is is the cameo the bill bill murray appearance so were you kind of worried about are people going to expect that do we have to do that kind of thing again or or alternatively were you thinking like no we want to move away from that we don't want to kind of go back to the same well kind of thing. yeah i don't think he can top it so we didn't try and cast anyone else for the a cameo just because you know that i think that's a lot of people's favorite most beloved part from the first one and i i, I just knew that we couldn't top it that, that seems absolutely fair. Um, so would you would you come back for a third? Um, and, and if so, would you sort of, you know, before sunset, before sunrise it and wait another decade? Oh, yeah, that's do? a great reference. We were, I was just talk, we were just talking about this. And I wonder what the passage of time before those movies is. Do you know? It is about nine years between. Oh, is movie. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think it would be fun to come back in another 10 years and see what these guys are up to. Mm-hmm. That'd be really cool. Um but yeah, it's uh, it was a joy on all levels. I mean, it's just crazy to think about 
Emma and Jesse, you know, Emma was only 20 and no one knew who she was when we were making the movie. Like we could go anywhere and no one had any idea. And and uh, look at her now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, two of your cast now have Oscars, right? So No, I think she's the one. Is she the only one? Yeah, I'm, but I'm but idiot. but they but they'll they've all been nominated, yeah. which is pretty incredible. Abigail was before we worked with her, as was True, Woody. Yeah. Um, but Woody's since been nominated twice, mm-hmm. and Jesse's uh, been nominated once, yeah. and then Emma's been nominated twice and won. Actually, two. I don't know how many times she's been nominated, but yeah, she's she, the only one who has one. I'm just mentally awarding one to Woody for that <laughs> performance uh, in Three Billboards. I thought he was amazing. Yeah, he's he's um, worthy. He is. Um, so so I guess that's good. So ten more years gives the other three. A chance to catch up, right? <laughs> yeah, by that time they should all have Oscars. <laughs> they should all have Oscars, and uh, and they can join Woody in the in the Golden Circle. That's right. <laughs> Are you going to have somebody beating someone to death with their Oscar <laughs> in the next film? That's a great idea. Yeah, we'll get Meryl Streep to be in it, and she can attack people with their Oscar. Oh my god! I know. I really that would be want a good cameo that. that could compete with Bill Murray. I think that would be absolutely up there with Bill yeah. Murray. That would be so good. Awesome. Well, listen. Thank you so much for joining us, and um, cheers. Cheers. Right, another sequel now that nobody asked for, <laughs> he said in parentheses, uh, <laughs> is the return of Angelina Jolie as the not-so-evil eponymous queen in Maleficent, double tap, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. And this one throws in extra Michelle Pfeiffer for good measure, and I'm yeah. always here for extra Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> Helen, does it do the trick? That is correct. You should always be here for extra Michelle Pfeiffer because she's fantastic in this. I, I actually really, really enjoyed this one. Um, what? I <laughs> Sorry. Know. Um, but I think, I think Maleficent is, in theory, a great character, and the problem of making her work, certainly in the first film, you had to explain the whole, you know, baby-killing thing, hmm. uh, which isn't ideal. And they've kind of just about done this by this point. So she is now godmother to uh, Elle Fanning's Aurora. She's trying her best, bless her, and it doesn't come necessarily naturally to her to be a godmother. But when uh, Aurora gets engaged, she then has to go to dinner with the in-laws, which is extremely difficult for Maleficent because she has no idea how to behave in a sort of formal setting. And the in-laws are, of course, a king and queen who are played by Robert Lindsay and Michelle Pfeiffer. Hooray! But wouldn't you know it, and we as the audience immediately are told this, so it's not a spoiler, Michelle Pfeiffer is a baddie. <gasps> Michelle Pfeiffer is planning a war with the fairies of the Moor, which is where Aurora is queen of and where Maleficent lives. And it is bad news for everybody because she's, she's determined on it. She's set on war. That's her whole thing. Um, so she's she's going around in these fabulous kind of pearly gowns that kind of double as armor. I mean, it's amazing. The, the <laughs> costumes in this are seriously fantastic, um, and and of course, S- sounds Maleficent. like Dami with fame phrase. Okay, <laughs> no, but seriously, it's it's worth mentioning. But um, Maleficent is so um, stressed out by the whole dinner thing that of course she kind of rises rises to the bait, and everything goes horribly wrong. And the two kingdoms are headed straight for war unless Maleficent and Aurora can stop it. And Maleficent is injured and gets picked up by what turn out to be her own people. So we've got more people with wings and horns in this movie. And you liked them a lot, didn't you, I Helen? did like them. That was fun. Mm. Well, I mean, she gets picked up by Chiwetel Ejiofor, which instantly raises the interest level of any <laughs> sensible person. Mm. Um, you mentioned, it, so it's, it's a dinner party or a dinner with the in-laws in a magical kingdom that could spark war. That's the plot of Shrek 2. <laughs> I mean, it is, yeah. Um, I mean, all of these, this is something I was thinking about when I watched the trailer for On, is it Onward, the Pixar mm, one. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I think Americans and fantasy, like, they've got really weird ideas of what a fantasy world looks like, and they're all a bit 
Disney, mm -hmm. even if they're not strictly Disney. And this one, of course, is mega Disney. You can see um, why we all grew up with it, didn't we? No, I know, but like it just feels quite limited. So, um, but not in this case. I think they do some interesting things yeah. with with some of the Fae, and they have some interesting ideas about you know them relating to different plants and things like that. Um, but I mean, Aurora herself, bless her, Elle Fanning oh, does God. her best to give her mm -hmm. give her some edge. But she's the wettest <laughs> character in history. <laughs> I mean, she's so kind of simpering, and 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 she's you know they try to give her something to do here, and you're a bit like. Oh, that's, do we even nice need you? I'm not sure we do. Can we cut back to Angelina because, yeah. like, she's wearing How that cool dress? How's oh, Angelina? she's awesome. Oh. She's yeah. amazing. She's she is amazing. I, I really love this film, and I really love the first one as well. And I know people are a bit mixed on it, but I just think it's so. We've had so many years of Disney films where the morality in it is so binary. It's like yeah. you have goodies, you have the baddies, and I, I, the complex morality in this I think elevates it so far above sort of other kids' movies to a point where I think some of it is inaccessible for younger kids completely. But it, it's got a really important message that, you know, in the film, the character who is ostensibly the villain, when you look a lot closer, Helen, you can see that really they're oh the God. hero. No, they're the hero, not. Helen. If you and look James. closely, you can see she's a Trump reference. So, like, let's have that. Everyone's a Trump reference right now. I'm a Trump reference right now. That's but there is a whole interesting thing here about fear and what it makes you do yeah. and how you act as a result. So, um, it, that, that it, James is absolutely right to a degree um, that there's, there's really com complex uh, arguments going on underneath. So I give it three stars. You gave it three stars? Yes, I did. Mm. Do you agree with yourself? You know what? I think I was uh, maybe a little harsh, but I stand by it. Oh, so it was actually a three that could have been a four? It, this was, the, yeah, this was a high three. But it was a high three. That's how we do things in the office. It's like, mm. what is it? It's three stars? Yeah, but is it a high three or a low four? And that's sometimes how these things happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a high two, but a low five, so <laughs> we're really confused now. So. <laughs> no, but then we have the other thing where it's a five-star, two-star film. It's a five-star, two-star, yeah. yeah, yeah three-star, four-star, yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of those. Never show people how the sausage is made. It's very <laughs> confusing. It really does get long. All right, so then three stars for Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. And the next film we're going to talk about is available right now. You guys can leave this place. Not right now. Please don't do that. Uh, and go and watch this movie on Netflix. It is El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, to give it its full title. It is mm. the movie sequel to Breaking Bad. Uh, one of the greatest. James will disagree. I'm going to say the greatest TV yeah. show of all time. Uh, written and directed, this is by Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad. And it tells the story of Aaron Paul's Jesse Pinkman in the aftermath of the final episode of the show. So it's on now. How many people have seen it? Yeah, a few people have seen correct. it. Even so, we're going to tiptoe around spoilers. You need to go to the toilet. Go now. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to tiptoe around spoilers here, but Jimbo, mm. what did you think of this? I really like this. I went to see this with Empire's Nick the Samlin. He liked it slightly less than I did. Um, it's a really tricky one because on the one hand, it's entirely redundant because the final episode of Breaking Bad is one of the greatest finales of all time. It's almost perfect. In fact, it is basically perfect. So you don't well, really need this. Weirdly, but you're gone. Yep. No, no, okay. No. Like, like, so you don't need no, anything else. But, but, what, but the thing is, it is Walter White's story. And I think, if anything, like Jesse Pinkman is a brilliant character. And he's one of the all-time most tragic characters in TV. And I do think, like, certainly if you rewatch Breaking Bad, it feels at the end that while it is a lovely sort of like the, what happens to Jesse in the, in the finale is fine, it feels like his arc is never completed. And actually, this feels like a lovely sort of epilogue kind of grace note. Because it is essentially a two-hour episode of what happened next. And it picks up directly after the finale, and it shows what happens to Jesse. And it feels very different because it's not a Walter White film. Mm. And his presence you know, is, is 
missed in the sense that it feels very different because it's not about him. And it is solely from Jesse's point of view, which is something you very rarely got during the show. Uh, but it's lovely, and it's really, really well done in mm. that it, it's just about one single thing, which is that he's escaped from Uncle Jack, he's escaped the slaughter, you know, Heisenberg is dead, but he's one of America's most wanted because he's like a meth kingpin. And the idea is he just needs to get out of Albuquerque alive. That's the whole story of the film. It's really, really simple. And that plays out with flashbacks where you see a lot more of Jesse's imprisonment mm. by Uncle Jack and his relationship with Todd, uh, played by a somewhat inflated Jesse Plemons, which is confusing, <laughs> which is confusing, but go with it. You can just assume that he had some fluctuations and then he slimmed down again before the finale. But that's really, really harrowing stuff and it really explores sort of the psychology of abuse and captivity and what it does to the psyche and showing how damaged he is in there, you really get an understanding then of who he is when the main story kicks off when he's trying to get out of town. Mm. So is this essential? Absolutely not. You know, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a footnote, it's a side note, it's yeah. something completely separate, but I thought it was wonderful and, and Nick found it, he found it quite boring. And, and I think it is I slow. Like, uh, I cannot get yeah. on board with that. The, and, and, I, and I understand, like, Breaking Bad itself is not ponderous, that's not the right word, but it's deliberate and it's steady and it's slow and it's yeah. a mood piece and a character piece. It's not plot-based, although some of them are, and Ozymandias is insane. But, uh, but this is like that. Like, a lot happens, but it unfolds slowly and deliberately and carefully, and it's, a, it's a very much a character study. And uh, so, no, I wasn't bored at all. I was absolutely gripped with this. I was with Jesse every step of the way, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. We gave this four stars, which I think were very well deserved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was great. Mm. Yeah, me too. I thought it was absolutely terrific. I was on tenterhooks. I was on pins and needles the entire time, uh, not knowing what was going to happen to Jesse. And I think the, the shift in perspective to him and solely him is really interesting, because mm -hmm. Breaking Bad, even at, even at the end, even as it got really, really tense, you could cut away from Walter. You can cut away from Jesse. Yeah. You can cut away from Hank to Skylar or Marie or someone else and you could release the tension a little bit and here you can't. Yeah. Interesting stuff in terms of the fact that you know all the bad guys are dead mm. so Vince Gilligan has in a way to engineer an obstacle for Jesse to overcome but I loved watching him trying to figure out those obstacles and trying to do so without Walter White's mm. ingenuity and without his brains. And there are moments when you, you know, he's not a superhero in this, there are moments when he forks up, and uh, I really love that. I think Aaron Paul, I don't, I think you guys discussed this on a certain podcast, Jimbo. Hmm. I, th I think it's been released in one cinema in uh, the States. And I think you need, to be, you need to be released for a weekend in order to qualify for, uh, for an Oscar run. And who knows, Netflix may well have plans for that. I really, really, really hope they do because I think that Aaron Paul deserves to be in the Oscar conversation for this movie because he is astonishing. Yeah. Uh, he has returned to this character for the first time in six years and he has imbued him with a depth and a sensitivity and a pain that was always there in Jesse but is really uh, on the surface right now. Mm. There's a moment, I won't give it away, you guys will see it, you'll know it when you see it. There's a moment in the desert, there's a scene in oh. the desert, there's a moment where it's just yeah. absolutely heartbreaking. But at the same time, what I loved about it was that it didn't wallow in, it could have become a simple psychodrama where Jesse is uh, traumatized by his experiences. And it doesn't become that. It becomes about a guy who has a very, very simple goal to get out. Mm. And whether he does it and how he does it, uh, it's wonderful watching Vince Gilligan resolve it. I, I do think that psychological element of the, kind of helps keep it as its own thing. It makes it feel yeah. quite distinct yeah. from Breaking Bad because 
you would never watch it without seeing Breaking Bad first, but it's like, here's a little film about PTSD, yeah. about dealing with that trauma and having to push yourself through yeah. even more trauma to get out of the other side. It's also a film, obviously, that came out last Friday, just before we got the news about Robert Forster, who mm. appears in it's the film. His, his um, final so role. His final mm. role, and it is, um, it's a really, weirdly, a, a, a very beautiful tribute to him, I feel like, and mm. a, a, a lovely kind of send-off, um, because his character has just a lovely couple of moments in his mm. last scene that just felt right um, yeah. in retrospect. And obviously that wasn't planned by anybody and, and would never have been planned by anyone, but um, for, for a great character actor like that who had been established in this series to come back for this, this kind of final time was, was really lovely. Absolutely. Uh, great tribute indeed to the great Robert Forster as well. Uh, four stars then for El Camino, full title. A Breaking Bad movie. Uh, but I would say it's a five-star, four-star, so bump it up to five if you want. Uh, so there's a, a bunch of other films throughout this week. There is the Peanut Butter Falcon uh, starring Shia LaBeouf. We get four stars too. Uh, sadly, I don't think any of us have seen it, but uh, apparently it's fantastic. Uh, we also have the new film from Olivia Esayas, non-fiction, which Helen, you th- we've yep. given, th- we given that four stars again, I think. Four stars for that. I should have been prepared, but you know, <laughs> what can you do? It's, um, yeah, it's a, a very French drama in that everyone's sleeping with everyone else, um, but mostly they're discussing uh, stuff that's very relevant for our profession, which is the sort of a divide between digital and um, physical publishing. They're all, they all work in books and they're obsessed with the question of how reading is changing, how we absorb information, how we process the world. So there's some interesting ideas and discussions about that, but mostly it's, you know, beautiful people like Guillaume Canet and Juliette Binoche, uh, <laughs> you know, deciding who to sleep with next, um, even though they're married to each other, you know. Um, so yeah. Friends. <laughs> oh, friends. I wouldn't put it up there with uh, Sias's best, but I thought it was uh, an interesting watch all the same. All right, so four stars then for uh, non-fiction. And uh, speaking of uh, a movie in which everyone's trying to sleep with everyone else, Shaun the Sheep, Farmageddon, is... <laughs> Oh, because they're counting well. sheep, of course. Uh, anyway, so this is the latest movie from Ardman. Yeah. And this is a sequel to the Shaun the Sheep movie, of course. Or was it Shaun the Sheep the movie? Anyway, a combination of those words. And uh, <laughs> this is uh, Shaun meets an alien in yeah. this. Not to spoil too much. And it is an absolute ruddy delight. It's adorable. Um, as with all the other Shaun the Sheep stuff, nobody really speaks... They sort of burr, go, burr, burr, burr. Burr. The podcast um, would be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a lot like that anyway. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's uh, nobody speaks. It's entirely comprehensible to a, a three or a four-year-old. But also, if you are Sydney literate, there are references to everything in this movie. There's Spielberg all over the place. You've got Close Encounters. You've got Jaws. You've got um, 2001 at one point. Um, you've got, uh, I think, Terminator. I wasn't sure if it was Terminator or Robocop, but it was in there. Um, <laughs> Are there any under-the-skin references? Because we had some parody posters that we ran online mm. for this, and one of them was a Shaun the Sheep parody poster of Under the Skin. Really? And like, wow. Two things that I never thought would come together. Does Shaun okay. the Sheep get in a van and drive yeah. around Scotland? <laughs> yes. He's entirely naked. Wow. In the, in the I had not even picked up on that. So, wow. We, okay. So go back and go back and watch Shaun the Sheep. But, but yeah, it's, it's got lovely. this great wealth of incidental detail as well that Artman pack into yeah. all their movies. There are incredible puns <laughs> in shop titles and newspaper headlines. One of my favourite things is the farmer is reading the newspaper. It just made me laugh. I don't know why. And there's a competition that says, win your weight in muck. And that just, <laughs> that just made me laugh quite a lot. But there's, there's a moment, there's a side gag in this, I won't spoil it, but there's a side gag in this I think made me laugh as long and hard as anything has in the cinema this year. Mm. And I saw this movie really early in the morning and I was not happy and this <laughs> cheered me right up. It's uh, really, really good. And we gave it 
four stars, I believe. Right. But it's another five star, four star. Screw it. Stick a, stick a <laughs> thick star on. Six stars then for Sean the Sheep, Farmageddon. And very, very quickly, because we've got to get to the Q&A section, uh, official secrets. Oh, God, yeah, official secrets. You forgot about that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten about that one. Yes, this is a ridiculously far-fetched film about a government that lies to the British people in order to enact a <laughs> devastating policy. Uh, no, this is, of course, the, this is Gavin Hood's film. This is uh, the true story of Catherine Gunn, who worked at GCHQ in the early noughties, who came across a memo showing that British intelligence services were coordinated coordinating with the US government to essentially surveil uh, members of NATO to, in order to blackmail them to get them to vote for an illegal war. So that's nice. Um, she came across as she leaked it to the press. That's not a spoiler, it's a fact. Uh, <laughs> and then, obviously, that made no difference to the war, but she is then in violation of the Official Secrets Act, and that is what this film is about. Mm. Obviously, if you know how this story played out, then some of the tension will be gone. Uh, luckily, I could remember nothing about it, <laughs> so I was on the edge of my seat. Um, this is kind of a, a bit like a 70s sort of like uh, thriller in that mm. way. Like it's, it's a procedural thriller. In fact, it's a three trifecta procedure because you've got legal procedure, intelligence procedure and journalistic procedure. So if you really like anal retentive stuff, it has got you covered. Yeah. The most exciting sequence in this involves a laser printer. This must be your film say. of the year, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. It really yeah. is. Yeah. It's like, oh, I think think you'll find yes. the movie. Um, <laughs> you retain so many anuses. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. It's so... Um, <laughs> But so it's got loads of good people like Matt Smith in this, Ray Fiennes in this. Kira Knightley is really good in this. Kira Knightley it's is got great in this. Some great characters, uh, actors in this as well. Jerry Northam, uh, Conleth mm-hmm. Hill, uh, Risa Fans. There's lots of good people. Um, it's. So, so Gavin Hood obviously likes Surveillance State. He did uh, is it, uh, Eye, in the, Eye in the Sky and he yep. did um, Rendition as well. And um, X-Men Origins, Wolverine. But which that's is, again, much <laughs> the same, continuing the theme. Um, it's a little bit, not quite ham-fisted, it's a little clumsy in that it's quite a complicated theme and it's oversimplified in this film. Uh, and it beats you around the head with the facts, which are already quite simple. It's like, yes, we get it, calm down. Um, <laughs> but, but it is, but it is, but it's a, it's a really interesting story and it is mm. well told. It's not on the same level as something like Spotlight, which really really draws you in. It doesn't quite do that, but it's nowhere near as boring as The Post. So that's, you know, a benefit. Hey, hey, uh, I like but, The Post. Uh, you know, I, I really enjoy this. I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the way it was told. I thought the performances were great. Uh, and it is, I mean, it, it's depressingly topical. Yeah. Like, and I think having this film come out now just... In a, in a time when I don't think we've ever trusted government less or been less under the illusion that they're somehow actually the good guys. Which or they're I think, the best of us. Do you know what I mean? Which I think to a certain extent we did used to think back then in the noughties, you know, to a greater or lesser extent. And now just like they're all just a massive bunch of counts. And, and, and <laughs> this film really, really makes that sink in. Yeah. I knew um, you were going there and I'm so relieved. <laughs> <laughs> it's the PG-13 version of the podcast. Because yes, he's dropped two C-bombs on uh, live shows. On you've cut tour. them both out. I had to cut them both yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. They anyway. were both well-deserved, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, we gave this four stars, which, again, I think is, uh, is a, is a yeah. solid star rating. It's a good, good week. It's a, it's, it is a good week. A good week. What would you say the film of the week is? Ooh. Zombieland Double Tap, everybody. <laughs> okay. Sean the Sheep. Sean the Sheep. Sean Why the not? Sheep. Go for it. Five star, four star. Uh, and then double bill with El Camino. What <laughs> That's a double bill. Uh, all right, so that's the review section done with. Hooray. Time now for our second guest, who literally just landed here in a plane from Lat London. Uh, we're very glad he did, for he's an old friend of the magazine. He's an actor, he's a musician, who, since he burst onto the scene a few years ago, has worked with some of the best directors in the business on both the big and small screens. Will you please welcome the star of Across the Universe, Heartless, The Way Back, Close to the Enemy, Hard Sun, One Day, Cloud Atlas, London Fields, and, and I cannot stress this enough, 
Geostorm, Jim Sturgis! <laughs> oh, now the applause has faded, Jim, before you got your seat. This is really awkward. Oh, no. Uh, that's it. <laughs> I love panto season, don't you? <laughs> it's great. Oh, dear. Jim, how are you? I've come with a bit of a cold, so if I have a coughing fit halfway through, you can edit that out, can't you? Of course we can, or we can just extend it. <laughs> we can do that. So Put Jim, tell us about Geostorm. <laughs> and then for five minutes. That would be my reaction, probably, yeah. I'm oh. intrigued to know your fascination with oh, Geostorm. Well, it was the Geostorm. first thing you said to me when I walked in today. Well, Great, I can talk true. to you about Geostorm. <laughs> I never really had the chance. I talked to Jerry Butler on the podcast about Geostorm but at the time, but it was during the promotion of the movie, so... We couldn't talk he about Geostorm. Yeah. Right, right, right. And so now I've got a sneaky suspicion that maybe, and this is entirely up to you, Jim, we can talk <laughs> about <laughs> Geostorm. <laughs> but listen, that's down the line. Uh, first of all, Belfast, welcome to Belfast. Thank you, yeah, it's great yeah. to be here. Not your first time? No, I was trying to figure it out. I worked out that I was here over 10 years ago, which kind of blows my mind, wow. actually, that it was 10 years ago that I shot the film here. And I haven't been back since, so it's lovely to be back. Was that 50 Dead Men Walking? 50 Dead Men 50 Walking. 50 Dead Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you did, you did the accent, which is not an easy one to do, I believe. Uh, yours is terrible, by the way. It's been said. I did. It was one of the first times I've ever kind of really sort of immersed myself in a character in yeah. the way that I had. I think <laughs> making 50 Dead Men Walking was one of the first times I, I actually personally felt like an actor. Right. You know, the director that we were working with at that time was really... She had a sort of history in documentary filmmaking and she really kind of pushed us into mm-hmm. getting as immersed as, yeah. we, as we could. So, yeah, we came to Belfast probably a month prior before filming and sort of immersed ourselves within the community and I joined a boxing gym, which is a <laughs> and pretended to be from Belfast in a boxing gym in, in West Belfast, yeah. That must have been Not the most the terrifying smart, experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is... That so, is yeah, nothing. it was a bit of a do-or-die situation, <laughs> a bit of a sink or swim. Wow, what was that first moment like when you opened your mouth? And, uh, it is, it's always weird when you're, when you're doing an accent, the first sort of two weeks where you're pretending to do it, your mouth feels about this big, you know. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you're just the biggest charlatan and everybody knows that you're putting it on. <laughs> and you're like, what are you doing? Why are you pretending to talk like somebody else? And then slowly you start to kind of hear that voice in your own head when you uh-huh. speak. You know, normally you kind of you hear your voice first and then you hear this other accent come after. But after you do it for about, I'd say about two weeks, you start to lose that and you start to kind of hear this accent in your own mouth. Oh, that's interesting. And then it's really, really freeing. I mean, it's something that I try and do as much as I can if ever I have to do an accent. Mm. Um, because, yeah, you just you can put it away. You can, you can leave it over there and you're oh, not okay. thinking about it. Do you remember? Can you access the accent? Listen, I know you're no, not and then that happens. I remember, when I, I remember leaving Belfast thinking, I can't even remember how to speak in my own accent. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I d- honestly, like, that just feels so odd. And then you get back to London and I had a pint of beer and then I was fine <laughs> and, but I honestly couldn't do, a, I couldn't do a Belfast accent for you now I'm, I'm, listen you're so not a performing I'm just going to take a question off here uh, <laughs> Jim would not play ball with the accent <laughs> question fair enough it's all good happy enough Jim thanks for that uh, but I think one of the experiences you had here uh, is that you had a very interesting experience shooting a scene in the Europa Hotel is this correct? This is true. How did yeah. you notice? Yeah, I have, I have spies everywhere, Jim Sturgis. 
Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, yeah, I just walked past the Europa Hotel and had some great fond memories of having sex with Natalie, po- uh, Natalie Press uh, <laughs> at the top oh, of the Europa Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Natalie Portman came to visit over the weekend. And, uh, one thing led to another. No, Natalie Press, who was also in the film. Yeah. Right. So we saw, I think that scene came from a story that somebody told the director. It was someone from the crew told her that he'd been up there and had sex with his girlfriend by the big sort of Europa All right, neon yes. sign. Yes. And so what was meant to be a really romantic kind of love scene, the director's like, no, nah, let's just do it up there. It sounds amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, what could be more I, could, I really got to know the city then. What could be more romantic, <laughs> right? Than the most bombed hotel in Europe. What could be more Someone romantic? Someone just than told that? me that as well, mm, yeah. 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 So I bombed it's it as well. There you go. <laughs> uh, the most sex bombed hotel in Europe. <laughs> Unbelievable. But, uh, but again, thank you so much for coming over doing this because I know you, you, you told me earlier on that you're uh, in the middle of recording an album at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. What can you say about that? Yeah. Well, it's just something, I mean, I'm always writing music. It's something that I've always done. I sort of came from music into the sort of acting Mm -hmm. world, I guess. So it's always there, sort of in the background, and I'm always fiddling around with with some sort of musical ideas and stuff, and I have a little studio at home. Uh, And I just sort of, I had a bit of time off, and and I made sure I took a bit of time off to just try and finish a lot of the stuff. I never finish anything, that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, years and years are going by, you know, 10 yeah. years since I've shot 50 Devon Walking, it felt like two, you know. So, yeah, I sort of realized that if I didn't finish something, it would be a real thorn in my yeah. side, you know, that I'd, I, just got, I would just love to just get something yeah. over the finishing line. So I sort of made a promise to myself that I would just get my head down. Take the time and, and do it. And get it done, yeah. So yeah. you've written music for some of your films, I think. Is that right? Yeah, for a couple of them, yeah. 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 So would you, would you consider like building on that, doing more kind of film music as a thing? Not film scores. Mm. I mean, I'm not in any... I sort of write songs and right. song ideas and stuff, so scoring a film would be way out of my depth, I think. You know? <laughs> and and the, the stuff that's come from working on films has been quite organic in mm. just sort of talking with the director... And just going, yeah, well, I'm, I'm writing a song. And it, it, it came pretty naturally, right. actually, yeah. rather than a sort of considered sort of direction. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So what, what sort of stuff are you, uh, are you recording at the moment? Uh, give us a hint. Of, give us a hint of the show. <laughs> I really hate this question because I, I don't know how to answer it. You know? It's just music, it's just music, man. It's just, it's music, just music, man. These are my emotions, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? These are my thoughts and feelings. All right. Um, what's your favorite chord? <laughs> is it E minor? I've no oh, idea. Love E minor. Oh, you're, you're, oh yeah. Lick my love pump. <laughs> <laughs> the saddest of all keys. Is this, this stir just turned all the way up to eleven? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This album is. Yeah. Fantastic. I can't wait. So you mentioned there that uh, obviously music was your way into film mm. with uh, yeah with Across the Universe yeah and Julie Taymor, which must have been an incredible experience for you. Yeah, it, was, it still is to this day one of the maddest things that ever happened. You know? <laughs> I, ca- I didn't quite know what I was getting myself into at all at the time. I, I was playing in a band in London. We'd been going for a while. Thank God the band sort of split up. It was a <laughs> tumultuous time. Um, I was ready to kind of leave music behind. And, and I was a bit, a bit of a lost end. You know, I wasn't quite sure what to kind of do with myself. And somebody said to me, you know, you should you should audition, you know, they're doing this thing for this Beatles musical, you, you should go for it, man, you'd be, you'd be good in it. And I was like, that sounds horrendous. <laughs> a, a Beatles musical, 
Um, I don't know if anyone here knows the film, because actually in England, and the, in England yeah. and the UK and Ireland, it's not that well known. But I mean, yep. guy in the front row. There you go, yeah. two yeah. people. Two people. Fantastic. There you go. But anyway, it, it, I, I sort of went along to it thinking it was a film about the Beatles, which it's not. You know, mm. it's really a film about the sort of 60s and the sort of youth revolution and the Vietnam War and the politics of that time, told through sort of Beatles songs. Um, and I didn't really know what I was getting into. I sort of turned up with a slight kind of naive arrogance, I think, where I didn't <laughs> quite think I knew what, you know... I what a kind of you're lucky to have me in really the room kind of thing. No, I was just didn't know what it was. Do you okay. know what I mean? I thought it was some small film about the Beatles. I didn't really <laughs> know any more than that. Did you turn up with the Scouse accent thinking you were going to be playing John Lennon or, or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have done. <laughs> yeah, I turned up with a guitar and then they sort of... They, I sang a couple of the, the songs that they asked to sing and then I went back and then I got called back to do some acting and then they said can you sing some songs without a guitar because you know this isn't a band you know you're, you're going to have to act and sing at the same time so I thought okay so I gave that a go um, and then quickly I kept kind of getting called back and called back and then they said okay we're going to send you to New York to, to meet with the director Julie Taymor uh -huh. And then I was like, oh, shit, like, oh. <laughs> I was like, w what is this film? Like, you know, what is this? And, and they said, you know, this is a Julie Taymor film. It's a Sony picture. It's shooting in New York. I'd never been to America like that before. Wow. I, was, I knew Julie Taymor instantly. I knew her work from Frida and Tyus, yeah. and I was a big film fan. So I was, you know, my, then I got nervous, and then I went to pieces, you know. But <laughs> and then we kind of got sent to New York, uh, it was a bit like The X Factor. It was a little bit like a bunch of us English actors got sort of sent over there, and one by one we sort of got sent home. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> and uh, Julie really workshopped the actors really hard. You know, she was really going to make oh, sure you're all, you're all in it together. We were kind of all there workshopping and doing different rehearsals and doing stuff with wow. her and spending a lot of time with her and other Jesus. people and other musicians and... And then, yeah, she, she then made her, made her decision, yeah. Wow, like Simon Cowell. It was very much, it was, yeah, b before the X Factor was the X Factor, <laughs> there was Julie Taymor. Yeah. Wow. Who wears her trousers up here? How <laughs> 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 many people know that about her? Yeah. That's, that's so, amazing. no, and it was, it was amazing. And yeah. it was a nine-month shoot in, wow. in New York City. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. So as Baptisms of Fire Go, that's pretty much up there, right? Yeah. Has yeah. anything lived up to that since in, the, in terms of that... That experience. I think every time I do a film, I feel like that. You know? Really? Yeah, it never feels any easier. You always feel kind of, and you, you feel as nervous and as excited and as a, you know, full of adrenaline mm. and fear mm. as, the, as the very first time. You know. But I mean, you've put, you've you've done some like out there films. I mean, I'm thinking about Cloud Atlas, for example. That's another one where you just look at that and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm doing what? How, yeah. how many roles? Yeah. The Over read through. How many the, times? the read through for that film was pretty extraordinary. <laughs> It was pretty extraordinary because I mean we had you know there were some big Hollywood actors yeah, there yeah. were some really interesting sort of Asian actors from Korea and yeah. China and Japan, um, us British lot and <laughs> you know some great character actors and you know yeah. it was it was a really exciting time and everybody kind of felt like it was the first experience for them because it was a film like no, none of us had made a film like that yeah. before um, so even sort of Tom Hanks was saying, you know, that, wow, I've never, you know, this is crazy. I've never done anything like this. This is insane, you know. So we, I, it kind of put us all on a very equal playing field for on, on that level, you know. That's good. How many roles did you play in that film? Remind us. I played six roles in that film. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So there's six different stories in the film, and they try to kind of get each actor to play 
a, a character in each different story. Mm. And it was beautiful. You know, the idea of the film is that it sort of transcends age, race, and gender. Mm. So men were playing women, and women <coughs> were playing men, and young guys were playing older men, and older men were playing young girls, and, you know... <laughs> It was insane, you know, uh, black people playing white people. Mm. I played a Korean freedom fighter. And, uh, yeah, for that, it was, it was, it was hugely exciting. Yeah. You know. Hugh, Hugh yeah. Grant played a cannibal. Yeah. I, I don't he feel did, like yeah. That. Who slit my throat. Yeah, that, was a, <laughs> that was the first time I met her, you know, yeah. First time I did a scene with Hugh Grant. <laughs> he licked my ear. <laughs> He'll do that, I've, I've heard, yeah. It's his signature, it's his, his signature move. He finishes people off. Um, I'm not implying that Hugh Grant is a serial no. killer, by the way. I think. No, you are uh, right I saying it. Yeah. No, I'm not outright saying it. There were times in that film where you didn't actually know. Like, I did a scene with Halle Berry in the film, and this is a true story. Like, she was dressed as an 80 year old Korean doctor. So she's sitting next to me with all this like, wrinkly skin and sort of brown teeth. And we're chatting about her kids and how they're getting on at school here in, <laughs> in Berlin. <laughs> And like, it was just bizarre, You're like, <laughs> Halle Berry's like in there somewhere, you know. And I, and I did a scene with her out in, uh, in Mallorca, and I didn't even know it was her. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know it was her under the makeup, you know. It sounds That's like amazing. a lower low. At some point she raises her glass and goes, "'Tis I, Leclerc." <laughs> Scooby-Doo, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone away with it, it wasn't for Halle Berry. <laughs> those, those meddling kids. Oh man, it's amazing. And obviously working with the Wachowskis as well. Yeah, that was amazing. It was quite interesting listening to the directors before because mm. obviously they're siblings yeah. and, and work together in a, in a very similar way. Um, and yeah, would, the same thing. They would, they would just kind of be watching the monitors and both of those guys would come and talk to you but, but without speaking to each other. You know, you knew they were sort of so intrinsically connected oh, okay. and would come and sort of whisper really interesting, deep philosophical ideas into your brain. Before, before I take you know, <laughs> I think I understood what she meant when she said that yeah I'll, I'll go with it yeah. that's amazing almost like a, like a clean reset just fill your yeah, head with I mean, that those stuff guys are, are really on another sort of planet you yeah. know they really are in a beautiful way they're so so deep in, in thought and, and you know I see Lana in particular you know, she's, a, she's a philosopher that, mm -hmm. is, that is trying to make sort of digestible or indigestible but <laughs> Popu you know, she sort of works in the uh, in in popular culture, you know, but gets huge ideas woven into to to these films yeah. that she makes. You know, uh, can we talk about Geostorm? No, <laughs> <laughs> I have forty-seven questions. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Go on. No, no, I've, I've really only got a couple. What was it like being on the inside of of the Geostorm storm, so to speak? Yeah, at the time, it didn't really feel like a, a storm. It, f it felt like we were making some big, fun, crazy, all-out kind of blockbuster romp, you know, mm. which, uh, which is definitely what it said on the tin and what it was, what it was sort of meant to be. Um, there were a few days where I was like, is this working or is this not? You know, but I was so out of my depth with a film like that. It was, it was my only experience of being in a sort of blockbuster yeah. Sort of film, and I was with um, Gerard Butler, and you know that's his universe yeah, very much it. so. You know, mm. so he was, you know, he, he was in his comfort zone, and I was well out of my <laughs> comfort zone. Yeah. So I sort of hung on to him for sort of dear life. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Dean Devlin again. You know, that's most certainly his his world, and yeah. he was the director who uh, you know produced a lot of Roland Emmerich yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah of course. 
Um, so yeah, I was just kind of blown away by the sets. <laughs> I was just walking around like, fuck you know. I mean, they built an entire space station in NASA. Like it was, it was amazing. And we would drive to NASA every day. What? Really? New Orleans. It was, it was the old, the old NASA building in in New Orleans. Oh, okay. Know. I was going to say, you know, NASA. There was like a meeting room that NASA just didn't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all like pitched up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I look, I look convincing as a <laughs> as a man who who knows about space. <laughs> It's, uh, it's just it's, it's one of those it's one of those movies that's uh, fascinating because it's got really fantastic moments in it as well. There's uh, a moment that I absolutely love. Do you remember the moment? Yeah, Helen knows the moment. There's a moment where your character has to communicate a message to Jerry's character. Yes. And you do so in code. Yes. And uh, and somehow Jerry cracks the code because you know yeah. why wouldn't he? Uh, and what was I mean, it's one of the most beautifully absurd moments in movies of, of recent years. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. loved it. What was it like filming so that a man whose favourite film is Avengers Endgame. I didn't say it's my favourite film. <laughs> no, no, his favourite is Event it's, Horizon. It's, fine. it's in the top one. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was definitely logic to the, to the, mm. to the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Childhood memories, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like childhood memories, but they had a sort of code where like every third word... Or, and then every fifth word and every second word and every tenth word, uh-huh. if you link those together, you'll, uh-huh. get, you'll get the message that, that you want to yes. sing, I think. I can't uh, remember. I've seen this scene a number of times. I'm still not sure it makes sense, but no. it, works, <laughs> it, works for, it works for me. It's I all good. That was the thing. You <laughs> that was the thing. Well, yeah, there was, that's mainly it. I just wanted to get it off my okay, chest about good, Geostorm. Good. And, uh, and were you disappointed that you didn't get, and, and in fact, Jerry doesn't get either. It's an interesting movie, the way it uses, uh, it uses him. Uh, at no point did you actually get to punch or shoot weather was that disappointing yeah that's true or even yeah. just shake my fist <laughs> yeah, damn you storm yeah. <laughs> yeah no one like went on their knees and like, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah yeah you that's think what that, yeah yeah geostorm too See, if then. i was producing a film that would have been right in there that been there you go <laughs> So you guys got loads of exclusives here today. So, for example, we know that Glenn and Lisa's next film is going to be set in Banbridge, and we now know that Jim Sturgis is going to produce and direct a sequel to Geostorm <laughs> in which you shake your fist at the weather. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And That's on amazing. that note, a great note, I think, on which to end. Jim, go and enjoy Belfast. Right, cool. You can Thank walk you, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jim Sturgis, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. And now that Jim has gone into the Belfast night, it is time for you to hit us with your questions. Don't be shy. Ask us anything. <laughs> Starting with you, sir. How are you? Okay. Who are you? And how are you? I'm Alan, and I'm from Coleraine. Hey. Fantastic. Hey. There Triangle, represent. Uh, what's, what's your question? Yeah, with uh, the Batman having Batman's rogues gallery, I mm. just wanted you uh, guys to maybe cast the rogues gallery uh, with only members of the Empire podcast team. <laughs> <laughs> well, gee, <laughs> that gives Chris me so has been many doing this <laughs> horrible joke impression all Please week. Don't. No. Part of the reason John Eugene isn't here is because he has been driven to Arkham Asylum (laughs) by Chris's horrible Joker impression. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Is there a Batman villain that doesn't speak at all? Because I think that should be Chris. You think? Hush, surely. (laughs) (laughs) Who's who's, uh, Jimbo? I would. Well, you're. You're the. I like to think I'm Bane. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) 
Uber Jimbo Baby. I have the haircut. What a lovely, <laughs> lovely shaven hand. That's it. Yeah. 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 I'm Empire's Reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> the special you powers. Were a, you, you were merely adopted by Empire. I was born in Empire. Born in the dark. <laughs> His special move is bane-splaining. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think you'll find I think you'll find I'm about this reckoning Denny Villeneuve's Dune is an excellent film Ben, who would you be? Who would I be? I don't know who's like the You're really fucking Robin, isn't he? Yeah, he can't be a rogue, he has to be Robin. He's Robin. Yeah. Look at that, look ben, at that face. He doesn't have He's not any. even Nightwing, he's just <laughs> Robin. <laughs> I'd be doing like trapeze stuff. Absolutely. I'd be like flipping around. In fairness, fact, Ben doesn't have the ass to pull off Nightwing. No, yeah, no. no. So few I'm not even do. sure you're Robin, you're just Dick Grayson. Like that's <laughs> it. <you know? laughs> this is feeling damning now. <laughs> Come on. Helen. I mean I Poison Ivy. I d- I, yeah, I think I'll have to be Poison Ivy. I could, I, could, I don't know if about red hair, but I'll give it a go. You're looking quite floral today. So Thank you. This, this yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, mm. this works. Yeah. And green. This is fine. Yeah. I'm going to be poison ivy. Poison ivy, it is. Boom. And uh, who would I be? I'd be <laughs> Killer Croc. I think <laughs> would be pretty amazing. I'd, I'd like to be. I, I'd love to be the Riddler. Mm. Yeah. Solve the countdown conundrum. <laughs> I presume that's what he does with his days off. Because I can never solve the countdown conundrum. And if I went a bit cockney, you know, the countdown conundrum. Uh, but if I if I were the Riddler, then I could solve the countdown conundrum, innit? So that would be it. Okay, there you go. Thank you very much Thanks. indeed. Thanks. Hello, sir. Um, I'm Hamish. I'm from Lisburn. Another Batman question. Oh, okay. Uh, related question. James Gunn's Suicide Squad remake, mm-hmm. or soft Su- reboot, or sequel, whatever it is. Number one, I think Polka Dot Man's actually coming up in that. Mm. Ooh, I've heard he that is. Thing, I think, yeah. He is. Yeah. Has he been spotted on set? <laughs> Get out. Another winner from Grayson. Uh, he is played by David Dastamalkian, who is Kurt in Ant-Man and also stars in James? June. Thanks, James. Hey. <laughs> because they have Idris Elba playing the vigilante and stuff. Yeah. I was just wondering what your guys' thoughts on it, that they're doing a kind of fresh new team mm. And they're kind of dropping a lot of the characters from the original Suicide Squad. I mean, I'm okay with it. I wasn't attached to them. It's fine. Um, what, you mean you weren't attached to Slipknot? I know, well... The I know. MVP, he was the, without a doubt. He was the only one, and then, and then they did that thing. So, you know, now I just don't know what to think. But um, I think it's probably sensible. If you're going to make a sequel to a film that made lots of money, so that's why you're making a sequel, but nobody really loves it, it feels like. Even the people who saw it and spent money on it, don't seem to love it. I feel like this is the way to do it. Just throw out everything that didn't work and just go crazy mm. with what yeah, might. They're, they're casting a lot of the fun, stupid villains yeah. in it. Fun, stupid villains. And then yeah. I think they're going to kill off a lot of them. The whole don't get attached yeah. thing that he said um, in, his, in his announcement of the cast suggests that lots of them are going to die after right. relatively little screen time. So kill them all. Blood everywhere. That's what I want to see. Fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, I'm Stephen from Belfast. Firstly, I'd just like to agree with James. Molly's game is a oh masterpiece. Oh, oh, no, you don't, no. don't agree with me. Thank you, Belfast. And that was the Empire no. Belfast. <laughs> <laughs> Since we've had the Joker and it's gone that singular origin story route, I just wondered if you've had any thoughts about any Marvel characters getting that treatment. So I'd like to see the Demon in a Bottle story done that sort of way. Sorry, who? 
Demon in a Bottle. Demon I don't know what that is. Tony Stark nice. is alcoholic. Yeah. That, 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 oh, that's I know that one. one. Yeah. Oh, okay. So just like one-off stories, just done, dusted, oh, no worries about a, like in that a continuation. Interesting. And then, Interesting. So like a, like a Joker-esque treatment yeah, yeah, yeah. of, a, of yeah. a great Marvel character. Stiltman, okay. for example. Yeah. Finding out that he huh. can't wear stilts and he's really broken up about <laughs> it. I think that there's room for tonal <laughs> shifts. Like I like the idea that uh, that Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness is going to be a horror film. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of I'm intrigued to see how that works out. So I think there's I think there's flex in genre. Uh, you know, in the whether it's someone more serious, someone more comedic. I don't know that I'd want to see something go completely gonzo, bat, shirt, well, mental. You yeah. know, really dark and or, and I definitely wouldn't want to see something unconnected because I think. The Marvel, the MCU movies work really well because they understand the tone and they understand the characters so well. I feel like and I would worry. I feel like What If is giving them that, yeah, that yeah, room to do yeah, that. Um, so I'm quite happy for them to do stuff like that in What If. Mm. But like for something like Marvel Zombies, for example, oh, I, I no. hated it personally because Wolverine wouldn't be infected. It doesn't make any sense, people. <laughs> um, but but like stuff like that, you could do in a What If story yeah. and, and just ignore the rest of the time. Um, 1602 though is the one that yep. I'd probably go for because I just thought that was really charming and weird and funny and you could do that just on its own and it would never connect to anything else and that would be fun uh, so I'd like to see 1602 those of you who don't know it basically all the Marvel characters rise in Elizabethan times um, which is weird and they and have cool. phenomenal costumes oh they'd have yeah the costumes would be great uh, they'd be Rucks as good as Maleficent I'm telling you they'd be amazing so yeah that that's interesting uh, oh if we're talking about adaptations <coughs> And the Hulk, uh, Future Imperfect, which is a great, I think it was just two issue run, but it was a fairly lengthy issue by Peter David, who is the Hulk writer, in which the Hulk has become a tyrant in the future, called the Maestro. It's really, really great, really interesting. That would be a good one. And the Hulk deserves a shot. And I know he'll never get it because of the contractual thing, but he deserves a solo movie. And Ruffalo should play him, and Columbo at the same time. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, man. How's it going? John from Letterkenny. Hey. Very good. How are you, sir? I'm not so bad. I love listening to the podcast while I'm illustrating. Very relaxing. Fantastic. So, uh, new Terminator film coming up very yes. soon. Um, the last two, <laughs> yeah, the, la the last two Terminator films t uh, had a tendency of blowing their load in the trailers with regards to their massive plot twists. Wow. <laughs> what Terminator film are you watching? Here, John. Come on. Not literally. <laughs> So, what are your uh, what 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 um, examples of movies, uh, shall we say, spoiling themselves uh, in the trailer? Would uh, would you like to highlight, or to flip that on its head, what films are you so impressed that they managed to keep things out of the trailer? And of course, we w won't necessarily have to turn it into Avengers Endgame mm. no, the podcast. <laughs> but they did though, didn't they? In that trailer, oh my goodness, it was amazing. Um, I remember being really impressed. By the trailer for Seven, this is really going back. I literally got it on a VHS on a cover of Empire. The trailer for Seven made it look like an average buddy cop comedy. It, it really <laughs> does. Like, I, and I don't mean that. Like, it looked like a good film that I wanted to watch, but it looked like any other buddy cop comedy. Uh, or not comedy, but drama. And I was just like, oh, I was not prepared for what I saw when I saw that movie. Um, so that, that's the one that springs to mind in terms of holding stuff back. But I mean, there was, a, there was a period there where literally three or four trailers in a row, not just Prometheus, but including Prometheus, showed their final shot mm. in the trailer. And, and out of context, okay, you don't necessarily know it's the final shot. And okay, some shots make the trailer and don't make the film. So maybe you're not sitting there waiting for it. But maybe you are and you have to wait the entire film for the final shot to appear. Um, so I think that's a bad trend and I hope it has now stopped entirely. 
I um, think Disney generally do a pretty good job with their stuff. So obviously you're talking about Endgame and Infinity War. Um, I feel like they've done the same thing with the recent Star Wars films. When they put those trailers out, they're so exciting and you can... They actually put a lot of decent stuff in there, but they always do it in a way where whatever you think it is that you've seen and you're like, yeah. oh, did I want to know that? But then it still pulls the rug when, when you see it on the big screen. I mean, yeah. so much stuff from, from Last Jedi yeah. and the, the Snoke and the throne room. And if you don't get any of that from the trailer or you get kind of versions of things, you have that, have that shot of um, Kylo Ren speeding towards uh, where Leia is on the ship. And you, that, it, you don't feel like you've been conned but at yes. the same time, you feel like they haven't given away the good stuff. Mm. It's sort of smoke and mirrors rather than bait and switch. Yeah. yeah, which is why I'm really intrigued by the sort of Dark Ray stuff in the Rise of Skywalker trailer, mm. because that was like a big, whoa. Yeah. But at the same time, if they're revealing that, it means that that is not a thing that's yeah. going to ruin the film. Look, I'm me. not saying I know anything about that after <coughs> my incredibly long conversation with uh, Daisy Ridley recently. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm not telling you anything. Um, oh, is that because you don't know anything? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rogue One, Rogue One was a weird one because Rogue One, like, there was so much stuff in that trailer uh, that isn't in the actual yeah. film that you felt rather missold a bill of goods. Like, you get to the end of that film, you're like, where was the, the fucking TIE fighter that was supposed yes. to get out? Of the, what? Uh, but then, of course, you realise that it was, uh, it was Gareth Edwards' trailer and uh, Tony Gilroy's film. So, uh, it's, and also, awkwardly, Tony Gilroy is do, he's working on the, the Cassian Andor TV yes. series, which, you, you know, if you're Gareth, you've got to feel a bit like, oh, my God, it's like insult to injury, isn't it? A little bit. It's just like he's taken that character and he's, and, and he's running with it. But, um, a little bit. Little yeah, bit. but you, you often get that. I think that's very common, that stuff that they shoot for the film obviously gets cut into trailers and then actually get used in the final thing. In fact, Gareth was saying, you know that shot of, uh, of Jin Erso where she's got the lights behind, she just turns and looks over it and there's that sort of lighting image behind the white and black lights. Uh, and Gareth was saying when he did that, it wasn't even part of the film, he just saw it, he just, he just said, go and stand over there and do this and look over your shoulder. And he was like, I don't know what we're going to do with this, I don't know where the fork we're going to put it, but I want it, I want it in the can. And so he did it and they stuck it in the trailer and wow. I guess they couldn't make it work in the film. I just did the same with the Ruben Fleischer intro. Did you see that? Well, that was, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of amazing. Uh, I'm going to say off the top of my head, musicals do an awful lot to obfuscate the fact that they're musicals, I would say. <laughs> so, uh, like the trailer for Rocketman, I don't really remember. There were little bits and pieces where you could see that maybe Taron Egerton was singing. You go, oh, that's fine, because Elton John is going to be singing. But you didn't really get a sense it was a musical. Mm. And mm. I'd have to think back long and hard to maybe the likes of... Sweetie Todd. Sweeney Todd. The Tim Burton Sweeney Todd trailer didn't show that it was a musical. And probably for a good reason as well. <laughs> uh, so I'd say musicals uh, go out of their way to hide their true nature. Mm, there you go. Cheers, man. Thank you. Hello. Hello. How are you? Um, I'm Dave from Kildare. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, international. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Before, before yeah. I needed my passport. Yeah, to get the, old, the, old, the old freedom of movement here is amazing. <laughs> um, so uh, I've been doing a bit of a Nolan rewatch in the last couple of weeks because why not? It's Nolan sure. and uh, Tenet is like the thing I most. Oh, Chris Nolan! I thought you meant Colin. Okay, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> she's not a thing down south. But anyway, um, and actually, I've got a question about U-turns too. But it's um, uh, Interstellar. I watched last week, and mm. it's a film I absolutely love, and I'm completely 100% on board with James's five-star review of it. But <laughs> when I saw it at the, originally in the cinema, it was just a film that totally disappointed me. I just wasn't into it, and I'd mm. love to know. I mean, there's a lot of talk about five-star reviews that may not be merited over the years and all of that. But <laughs> I'd love. <laughs> has to be mentioned at least once every show but anyway um, <laughs> I was just wondering about like 
<laughs> either fine. movies that you reviewed or that you didn't review but just films that you did not connect that did not connect with you mm. in the first place at all and that you have come to love over the years I didn't like Interstellar, and I, I came to like it a little bit more after learning about the effects of it, weirdly, <laughs> genuinely. Um, the, the VFX guys did a talk about it and how much was VFX and how much wasn't, and, and I was fascinated, and that made me like the film a little bit more. Um, so that was really nice. I, sometimes if I think my opinion on, in, on a film is massively going to change, I don't want to go back to it. There's a few films that I'm kind of out on a limb liking, and I kind of don't want to see them again in case in case I don't anymore. <laughs> so, um, so stuff like uh, The Fountain, I absolutely adored. And it was, we talked about last week, there was a whole yeah. shift of opinion in the, or divide of opinion in the office, but I'm, I'm almost slightly worried to go back and see it and find out that the whole fight <coughs> was for nothing. Um, I'm worried about going back and watching Fight Club now, which I utterly loved, but like saw six times in the cinema. Um, but I have a feeling, I don't know how well it's aged and I don't know if I'll like it as much anymore. So I kind of don't want to see it again in case. Films that went up in my uh, estimation, though, yeah, there have been a few. I, when I first saw Nightmare Before Christmas, I didn't really love it. I think I was super hyped going in, and I was like, that was fine. Um, and now I like it a lot more every time I see it. And I think there are a few films like that that just grow on me steadily. But it's not like a U-turn. It's just a steady. Mm. This, I thought that was all right. Oh, but it's actually quite good. Oh, I really like it. Oh, I really love it. Oh, you've got to see it. It's amazing. <laughs> now you I know, have the script kind of tattooed on my body. <laughs> yeah. Close. Sort of I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Getting there. Slowly saving but surely. up. Saving up. <laughs> um, I think I may have said something like this before, but John Wick for me was a, a big recent U-turn. Yeah. And then I saw it and I wasn't that wowed by it. And I've said this in the past, but I actually thought that The Equalizer was the better film. Oh. All of the Jerry action movies that came out that year. Don't mock me. <laughs> have you seen The Equalizer 2? It builds on the original in ways that you find really surprising. No. Um, no, no? No. No? Okay, fine. Uh, so uh, that one, uh, because I didn't like it that much the first time I saw it, and then I saw it again and loved it so much that I wound up on the set of John Wick Chapter 3. So <laughs> that was nice. And I'm evangelical about it to the point where, as we mentioned earlier on, 2021 has a Matrix 4 and John Wick Chapter 4, and I'm more excited about John Wick Chapter 4. So uh, yeah, definitely that one for me, I would say. Anyone else? Uh, for me, uh, Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner. I think I first saw it when I was about 15, 16, whenever the final cut first came out. And I remember at the time not really knowing the, the tone of that film and going into it like, oh, it's Harrison Ford. Oh, it's a sort of sci-fi him killing robots thing. I just wasn't prepared for what that <laughs> film was going to be. And then uh, a few years later when they did... I saw, I even see there's some kind of 4K version, something, they tinkered with the final cut and I saw it in a screening room and it blew my mind. It was, it, everything about it was just like cranked up. Um, so that has grown for me every single time I've seen it from a place of just being a bit like, oh, I didn't really get what that was about. Uh, and on a completely different note, uh, Moana, I thought was all right when I first saw it. And now um, make I way, just love me some, make oh my God. <laughs> I consider the coconut every day, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Which is a thing if you know more on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, mine's the other way. It's, it's famously, Chris and I have been the long defenders of Phantom Menace in the office. We would go to bat for this for anyone. We'd be like, it's a great film. It's brilliant. Like, oh, you like put words in my mouth here. No, no, we did. We did. <laughs> no, 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 no. And then, and then, and then, we went and saw it uh, when they re-released it in 3D. And there was this bit where we all came out and we all went out for a meal afterwards and Chris and I just hadn't spoken. And we sat down and we almost couldn't meet each other's eyes. And we just looked at him and we was like, it's not very good, is it? No, no. And he was like, 
No! I feel I have to qualify this. I always knew it was bad. No, I knew oh, no, 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 Captain Recon. No, 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 not Captain Recon at all. First time I saw Phantom Menace was in Belfast uh, when it came out in 1999, and it was a horror show. It was an absolute <laughs> horror show. But over the years after that, my love of Star Wars began to manifest itself in a kind of you know what, guys? Apologism. It wasn't actually that bad. Yeah, I became an apologist for it. Mm. There are Stockholm good things syndrome. in The Phantom Menace. There's the pod race. There's Qui-Gon. You know, a Jedi. Northern Irish Jedi. Yes, thank you very much indeed. Absolutely there for that. Uh, there's the Darth Maul lightsaber battle. The best lightsaber battle in the, in the Star Wars saga. Yes. And then that turned into, you know what? It's bloody good. And you guys who don't like it can go hang. And then I saw it again. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh this is really bad, guys. And then uh, we, I think we watched Attack of the Clones again. And it was like, oh, it's even worse than I remember. Yeah. And I've still given it five stars. Oh, no. So, yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's one. But I have to say, I didn't. No. Mm-hmm. Bad, James. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. No. Don't put words mm-hmm. in my mouth. Anyway, there you go. Thank, Thank you very much, Steve. Thank, Thank you. Cheers, man. Uh, we're going to speed round this, guys. So here we okay. go. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm Ben. Um, Hi, yeah. Sorry to bring back the Star Wars again, but um, I'm looking forward to Episode 9 and The Mandalorian and Obi-Wan, but it sort of seems like every week we're getting something new with Star Wars, mm. and maybe it should take a break. Whoa! Whoa! Well, you wouldn't have like Kevin Feige, would yeah. you? I, ho- I hope what's happening is they did like cancel a bunch of things mm. and sort of take stock and step back for a minute there after um, a solo, basically. And I hope what's now happening is this is the result of them rethinking, yeah. restructuring, and really deciding to do something carefully. So hopefully all of this, I know it seems like a lot right now, but it, a lot of these are announcements of things that will happen, you know, three, four, five years in the future. So I'm hoping that this is actually going to be a really well thought out, you know, carefully kind of joined up Star Wars. So it kind of makes sense that we want to watch one and also the other and not just, you know, be there for the Skywalker saga. So Boba Fett movie it is then. Oh okay, good sounds, Lord. sounds good. No, to that me. I refuse. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, you're going to review it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, hello, sir. How are you? Women are very underserved in this Q&A queue. I know. I was going to say that. It's like, oh, there's a lot of bearded guys here, but that's okay. Anyway, uh, Liam from Dublin. So, seen as we're in Belfast, uh, best and worst Northern Irish accents on screen. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, 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 no, I, 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 I feel unqualified. We'll, we'll <laughs> delegate to Helen. Uh, oh God. Jim Sturgis in 50 Dead Men yeah, 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 um, It's genuinely really hard, and I'll, I may have mentioned this in the podcast before, but I, I once there was a dialogue coach on set of a film I visited, and uh, she came up to me, and we chatted for a couple of minutes, and then she goes, oh, and you're Scottish. Um, <laughs> Yeah, which explains a lot about the lead Scottish accent in the film. But anyway, I think it's a really, really hard accent to do. Um, Brad Pitt did not do a great one. <laughs> I'm not sure it's the worst ever, though, but it's Richard it Gere good. in The Jackal is oh, horrendous. Oh, Richard Gere was... Yeah, that wasn't yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's like... I'm surprised it didn't start wars, if I'm, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm honest with you. Uh, yeah. That was a pretty bad one. Who uh, did a good one? There was somebody recently who did a good one. I, I genuinely thought they were Northern Irish for about half the film. Liam Neeson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's only when he's doing an American accent. Yeah, only, only when he's doing an American accent, then his, his, his Northern Irish accent comes spot on. When he does his Northern Irish accent, it sounds Scottish. It's so weird. <laughs> so bizarre. Sean Bean? How did Sean Bean do in Patriot Games? Not so, great. Not great. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody went, yes, okay. and everybody it's else went, It's really no. tough. 
Yes. Well, Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis, Day-Lewis, yes. Daniel Day-Lewis goes Inky without saying. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. These are all good options. Thank you very much indeed for giving me James would have jumped in. James missed an opportunity with Jason Isaacs in the West Wing. Ah, uh, well, oh <laughs> my God, that's so awful, isn't it? Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's a His shocker. Irish accent's pretty good in the Event Horizon, isn't it, though? Well, it? I mean, yeah. you know. He is I'll very good at it. accents, generally. He is, yes, indeed. Hello, sir. Hi, uh, I'm Josh from Guildford. Hello. Uh, oh, hello. So, I actually went to Bambridge Academy. There you go. It always, ever since I found out you went there, it shocks me that they don't have your picture hanging on the wall. <laughs> or a statue, in, yeah. Or especially in moving image arts, it always shocks me. It's so just average school have a, for gifted youngsters. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a, a sort of question by proxy. One of my best friends, Zara, um, we started listening to the show. Oh, from the clothes shop, yeah. <laughs> uh, on the Timmy Chalamet's episode. Oh, <laughs> Timmy was, Two Meets, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has been a running joke in our friendship forever, but she lives in Korea now, so obviously she couldn't be here. Oh. And she wanted to know what would be some of your favourite foreign language movies, especially with all the buzz that Parasite's getting at the minute. Oh boy. Um, well, if we're, if we're talking Korea, then I love The Host um, mm-hmm. and um, Train to Busan. Um, for a start, I thought those were both amazing. Um, oh God, I mean, foreign, it's, a, it's a big category. Cyrano mm-hmm. de Bergerac is one of my all-time favourites, and that is it's French, so that's fine. Uh, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown from Spain. And I'll let some other people talk now. Um, seeing as it's October uh, and we're going with the Korean theme, uh, there's a film on Netflix called The Wailing, which is a like bone-clawingly terrifying Korean horror movie that like oh, yeah. rattles your soul. Is it, and at is the it same about time, wailing? It, it's about a demonic... Like, like wailing? Wait, what, what Not was like that hand gesture? No one at home can see that, but what that was, was that? Wanking off a whale. I'm yeah, saying you, you, no. with a hob boom. You would need much bigger hands, my friend. Like that. It was obviously then, a harpoon. We were all... Okay. <laughs> it has nothing to do with whales, but it's really you. scary. And um, in that weird thing that a lot of Korean films have where it, it kind of really mashes up genres, um, it also has some weird bits of like super knockabout comedy and then will be completely terrifying five minutes mm. later. Uh, and it's like two and a half hours long, but it's amazing. So set that for your Halloween viewing this year, The Wailing. The Wailing. Good job. Uh, oh, God. Well, if I had to pick one <laughs> off the top of my head, City of Lost Children, maybe. I love City of Lost Children. Mm. Uh, that'd be a good one. But if you're into subtitles, you want to watch a really good TV show, Giri Haji. Which, uh, oh, starts which starts tonight, doesn't it? Which yeah. starts tonight okay. is yeah. really, really good. And that's half in Japanese, half in English. It's got Kelly MacDonald in it. It's really, really good. Very unusual. Fantastic. Very unusual show. Favourite film in a foreign language? Train Spotting. I think. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that would be it. Uh, no, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I wrote a dissertation at university on Hong Kong action cinema. Right. So I'm going to say Hard Boiled. John Woo's Hard Boiled. Closely followed by John Woo's The Killer, then John Woo's A Better Tomorrow, part two. There's a theme here, but yeah, uh, it was John Woo and the Hong Kong action cinema. But yeah, I, I, I grew up in that stuff. Cool, cool. Absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, two more. Last ones. Here we go. Here we go. Hello. Right, I'm good. Follow me. Is there going to be a raid three? Because I know you, you love the first two raids and you just mentioned. Uh, is that your question or is this yeah, just off well, the cuff? Yeah, just lean into that. Oh, one, no, yeah. it's good. No, that's well, that's going prompt you. I love them. Uh, yeah, if I were a betting man, I'd say yes. Good. But not for a while. I uh, also saw your tweet last night about coming in to Belfast uh, on the plane, a bit like Temple of Doom. Mm. The plane from that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Jen. More terrifying, that. actually. Yeah. yeah, more terrifying. That's actually how we landed. We landed yeah. on it. We had to fight our own dinghy yeah, in the air. and then yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just on that, and obviously Ford and um, an Indiana Jones film coming up. Mm after the last 30 years ago. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I like you. I like you. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, the fact that it could be a, re- a reboot within the film, it could be maybe a younger actor coming in, 
Ford's nearly 80 now. He's talked about nobody could play him. Should we just put the trilogy where it is and say goodbye? Or is it too good now Disney own the rights, all that? What, what should happen? Mm. The, the one thing that gives me hope is um, how much Harrison Ford gave a shit in The Force Awakens. Sorry, gave a shit in The Force Awakens. <laughs> um, because... Uh, I have a lot of affection for these sort of reboot calls where it's things that I never got to see in the cinema first time around and when they're done really well, I, I really love them. And everything about this for me says like, except the fact that he really seemed to care and actually like throw himself into that role, presumably because they were like, we're going to kill you. Yeah, he was very good in it, but I feel like he was only good in it because he was so excited to kill the character. You know, <laughs> but he was like, it. come on! So well, maybe, maybe they'll dies, make the same deal here. Yeah, that's it. If, yeah. if Harrison Ford is in this and he's good, it's because Indy dies. That's, that's it. You heard it here. <laughs> that's what happens. Wow, that's I, I'm, dark. I'm not so sure. They'll never kill off the Harrison Ford Indiana Jones. I don't think they'll ever do that. I know what you mean. I can see that, but Harrison Ford at nearly 80 is still fitter than I am at nearly 30. And <laughs> I think he will still kick a lot of ass in that role. And I, and I think there's also a feeling amongst the creatives that they know that the fan fiction fourth one that was on YouTube a few years ago uh, with some crystal skulls in it maybe didn't live up to expectations. But no one else can play. Yeah. No one else can play Indiana Jones. No. No one else. Hands um, off. It's Harrison Ford. Just before we go, will we win the league next May? Who's we, sir? Uh, Liverpool. You are correct. Good <laughs> <laughs> Hello, sir. Last question. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. Uh, Oshin from Kildare, by the way. Um, just Brexit is obviously nearly hoping, coming yeah. to, hopefully coming to an end. Uh, we're obviously eventually going to get a movie at some stage, but three and a half years is a lot to fit into an hour and a half, two hours. So I'm just wondering what one moment would you like to see dramatised and who would you like to see direct? Patrick Stewart voiced the poo emoji in the emoji movie. <laughs> <laughs> so why can't he reprise that role to play all, all of the parts? All right. <laughs> It'll be great. Okay, good. Yeah. I would want um, a film, a joyous tragedy <laughs> called Boris Johnson's No Good, Terrible, Very Bad Month <laughs> about his absolutely shocking first month in the job of his dreams that he felt he was entirely entitled to and just did the worst job possible and we can all delight in his misery mm. schadenfreude to the absolute max good that's what i want there you go wow holy shit uh, i think wow. it's roland emmerich I think Roland Emmerich, <laughs> and the film should just be called 2019, and it's just the whole world imploding in a no-deal Brexit. Yeah. Roland Emmerich directing the ultimate disaster movie. Yeah. Roland Emmerich, okay. he is the master of disaster. He so, really is. You know. Okay, yeah, Roland Emmerich, I think that is a really, really good answer, and, uh, yeah, and one we can use. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, that is it for this special Belfast edition of the Empire Podcast. And that's it for our first ever tour, everybody. Uh, 
It has been, it has been, I have to say, absolutely exhausting, but we've loved every minute. And I'll tell you what, I would put money on there being a second tour uh, next year. Don't actually put money on that. I tried it with William Hill today and they went, who are you? What's a podcast? We don't know. We don't care. Go away, please. Uh, but a few thanks before we go. Oh, and also gamble responsibly. Uh, a few thanks <laughs> before we go. Uh, thank you, of course, to the staff here at the Odeon Belfast. Thank you to Ben for uh, monitoring the sound so well. Thank you to Claire Shaw and Nathan Wafflart at Cinemagic. And Nathan, I hope I pronounced your surname correctly, uh, for inviting us over here and for putting us up, putting up, uh, putting us up, in fact, and putting up with our capricious nonsense as well. So thank you to them. Thank you to everyone who supplied spot prizes both today and on the tour uh, over the last six weeks, including Interfilm, the wonderful Interfilm over here, uh, for the relief package that consisted mainly for me of Fida bread, the <laughs> greatest bread on the planet. Other breads are available, but frankly, why would you bother? Um, thank you, of course, to our incredible guests, Jim Sturgis, Glenn Labour, and Lisa Barros de Sa. Thank you to Ruben Fleischer. Uh, uh, that was a trick. Uh, and thank you, of course, to you guys as well for yeah. coming out tonight in such large number. Uh, we are genuinely humbled and awed and wowed by your support and incredibly proud to have brought the uh, podcast. Oh, fucking, I'm cheering up. What the fuck? Uh, incredibly proud to brought the podcast back here as well. Uh, so thank you so much. It is time to say thank you and goodbye to Ben Travis. Woo! Time to say thank you and goodbye to James Dyer. Thank you, Belfast. <laughs> thank you, goodbye to Port Stewart's finest, Helen O'Hara. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to inject that sweet, sweet feed of bread right into my veins. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Goodbye. Woo!